Hey guys, Roy here, and you're listening to the Balanced Mail Podcast Series. Tonight I am with Steve Gentner. Steve Gentner is not also a awesome dad of two children. He also runs Old Town Family Chiropractic with his wife. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun stuff to talk about, and you guys will enjoy. What's up, Steve? How's it going, Roy? <laughs> it's always funny when we start this because we've been talking for five minutes, mm-hmm. and then I have to say this. So, you're back. Spring break. You hightailed it over here. I appreciate yeah. you coming over. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Woke up to a frozen car that I couldn't open the doors this morning in Wintergreen, but here I am. That's funny. Yeah, this morning it was weird because it was the opposite, and then it got to where you were because, mm. like, my uh, Carly went out to uh, go shopping or grocery shopping, and it was like sixty degrees. And then within like two hours, it's like thirty and snowing. Yeah, actually, it's like it says it's supposed to be like sixty-five degrees today. It's like it was like thirty when we get home. I'm like, you know, that's the high of the day. That's not what's going to happen the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like we went to a birthday party, so I like look like an idiot. The birthday party was at a pool, going swimming, and I'm in like my swim trunks and flip flops. And it's like blizzarding outside, but it's all gone. It's yeah. not going to stay. Yeah, nothing, nothing stuck here. Mm-hmm. Easy drive over. Yep. So, man, so let's talk. So I do want to talk. I had this perception of you that you were this big superhero guy, and I'm learning that it's not. Mm. You're not that. You just... Your casual superhero lover. I think, I think casual would be accurate. Yeah, I don't know a lot of the details. I had comic books as a kid. I never had like I had friends who had boxes and rooms full of them. That that was never uh-huh. really my thing. I still have some of the comic books I had as a kid. Um, yeah, maybe like forty or fifty of them. But um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy the genre. I don't know that I know all the nitty gritty details of it though. Yeah, Carly wanted to. Uh, she tried to hook us up a couple times to go see superhero movies yeah because she was trying to force us together at one point and we were just too busy and just Mm. couldn't work it out and that was the thing so i thought you were like a big superhero guy like me totally be into that i just saw that uh deadpool 3 has a director so i'm pretty pumped for when that comes out that's good they they did that right see i'm like next i'm super into it like i mean i collected a bunch of comics as a kid like i was not i will say i was never a dc fan Except for Batman, he's the only one I've ever like got into that. But I hated those comics; they weren't as mm. fun as Marvel. Yeah, I definitely gravitated more towards Marvel too. Yeah, my favorite was um, Gambit. Do you remember mm. Gambit from the X Men? I do remember Gambit. I keep waiting for them to make a movie about him. They've tried so many times, yeah. and it they just can't get them right. At one point, Channing Tatum was going to be Gambit. Yeah, that would have been right cool for that character. But. <laughs> yeah, I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just um, it's always been disappointing because he was such a fun character in the comics, and they just never got him right. Same thing with Fantastic Four; mm-hmm. those movies were kind of terrible. Yeah, they got kind of better along the way, but they still haven't gotten it right. You know, John Krasinski might be Mister Fantastic. Yeah, I heard they're they're remaking that. That would be so, fun. That'd be good. Because that Doctor Strange is supposed to, like, they're supposed to have something to do with that. 
I don't know. There's all these multiverses now. It's it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to remember. So as someone who is more in, or still is, more into the, the detail of it than I am, is this multiverse thing like a new thing to you, or have you read a bunch of the comic books on it? No, they've they've always done stuff like that. That's the beauty of comics. Like, you know how there's like, we've done so many Batman movies? Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that, is, that isn't weird, right? Because you can have different writers come in, and they'll take different takes on these comic book characters. And so you'll have, like, I mean, there's dozens of titles of Batman, and they're all different. Same thing with Spider-Man. Like, you have yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker as Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, and so it's just like, a, it's not something that I, I, I'm i I'm new to. But the multiverse, there's, I forget what series and stuff like that that it came from. Because I... <laughs> I was really big into them for a while and then I had to mm. stop. Mm. Like I had to stop. Oh. And it's been it's been 20 years since I've dabbled really into the comic book world. Okay. Um it took took a lot of my life actually. Um I was a subscriber and yeah, I was a big comic book nerd about this stuff. Yeah. So when you're a subscriber, I don't know if I've ever talked about this here, but so you're a subscriber, and what would happen is the guys that run the comic book store, you would sign up for these titles. Like, mm-hmm. I want this, I want Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, whatever. And every Wednesday, when the titles would come into the store, they would pull them for you and put them in a box behind the register. Mm-hmm. And so you would come in and be like, hey, I'm here to pick up my titles. And you'd get your stack, and then you would leave. And so I did this every Wednesday. And I had like, I subscribed to 12 or 15, something like that. And that's not a lot, but it's $2 a comic. So that's like $30 a week on comic books. And then probably had quite the collection or maybe you still do. Yeah, they're hidden in a big box um, waiting for when, when Jasper finds them. And we get to have that yeah. moment where I can talk about it, you know, and be like, these are my comics. Look at this stuff. Um, but yeah, and so it got pretty, you know, and I had sort of friends through the comic book store and we would hang out and my life sort of started revolving around a comic book store and things like that. But um, I was going to pick my titles up one day and there was this group of people playing Magic the Gathering, the card game. Mm-hmm. You familiar with that? Yeah, I remember that. And... But what was odd about it was it was I still remember these people. It was like five middle school or like early high school kids and then one like twenty something year old dude. And it was it was the typical, like if you think typical guy that would play Magic the Gathering, like living in a basement, like mm-hmm. stringy hair, sweaty, like gross looking. And I was coming yeah. to pick up my comics and then for some reason I couldn't get I couldn't get away from staring at this guy. And he was like talk. He was like being really like aggressively like sexual with like some of the cards because the characters mm. were like voluptuous like mm. women, and he was like talking about it with these like younger kids, uh. and it was like really creepy. And then he was like making fun of them like you idiots for making that like move and stuff like that. And I saw what happened was I saw myself in that guy, uh. and it was like this is your future. Mm. Because I noticed that I would get like, I would subscribe to one extra title and one extra title and one extra title. And then I started noticing I'm spending more time, spending more money at the store. Mm. It's all I talk about, all I think about. 
so I saw that guy and I was like, this is my future. And I haven't bought a comic book since like, I couldn't do it. I had to like, get rid of it. I was like, Nope, can't do it. I did the same Mm. thing with like, when I was listening to the insane clown posse, I had a moment Mm. where I was like, I can't listen to these guys anymore. It's going to suck the life Mm. out of me. So, yeah. Yeah. So there was that, there was the day. Yeah. So it's almost, was the guy really there? Or we, right? Because you know this is all a simulation, right? And so right. it's like, yeah. Or it was just happened to be placed in that position, so you would walk in and go make a different choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like comic books are cool, but if you can't like just, I can't casually. Yeah. It's, it's don't be just, the middle twenty playing with the thirteen year olds, telling them they're dumb about yeah. the game they just played. And it's like, you know, and you could, it's just, oh, so yeah, mm. I haven't bought comics since, yeah. but well. I love the movies. I love that we can see them. I love Deadpool. They did a really great job with him. Yeah. I didn't like, uh, I didn't like Aquaman. Yeah. It was terrible. Like I, I could, the so, acting. I mean, some of those that some people are like, oh, that was just terrible. I was like, I mean, it was okay. I'm not going to run out and try to watch it again, but I don't know that I believe it to be terrible, but um, yeah, that was, I mean. It was fun to watch. Fun of Aquaman, anyway. They do do a bad job in the movie, and I hated that because it's cool that you can swim in the ocean and like talk to fish. Yeah, that's not like you know. As long as you're just talking to fish. I know that's the thing. Isn't that in the boys (laughs) that show the boys? That's yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Aquaman. I think because they're making a second one. Mm -hmm. You know. It was fun to watch, but yeah, it was just the acting. Oh my god, so bad. But I just saw the recent Batman, the Matt, the uh, is it Matt Reeves? The new one. Yeah, yeah. it was cool, mm. super edgy, and like they leaned heavily on like because he's a younger Batman in this, okay. and uh, like him struggling all really with like unresolved stuff from his parents' death, but like really like. We've always seen Batman as like this, like in his like thirties and forties mm-hmm. and his, you know, parents have been dead a long time. This was kind of almost like it was newer. And mm-hmm. so it was like fresher. And so there was, it was pretty cool. Acting was good. Yeah. It was fun. And the Batmobile was this dope sports car. That sounds nice. Yeah. I know you like the sports cars. I do like sports cars. Makes it a little more, maybe a little more achievable. Mm-hmm. A Batmobile. Yeah. You, you could know. just take your BMW and just soup it up some more. There you go. Be your own. You're you're running around as a superhero, adjusting people. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Make it between places super fast. <laughs> they'll have a. They'll have instead of the bat signal, it'll be a spine in the sky. <laughs> be like, I'm out, guys. I gotta go. <laughs> it's tearing out of the garage with my car. Yeah. You trying to put on your superhero suit, like not like all incognito. all right so let's talk so you are a father yes how many kids do you have two yeah yeah a five-year-old named brenna Uh uh-huh and he'll be one in a couple of days on the 31st of this month named benton benton cool bent brenna and benton did you try to did you want to do both b's or did it just happen Uh, that way that was more my wife than me Uh uh-huh um but I'm in for it, you know. Happy wife, happy life, as they say. Yeah. So um, we were actually kind of going with the, and, and the things to be nerds about. We're nerds about. I, I'm comic books, not super deep, but also car, things related to chiropractic. 
So realizing our daughter will probably get made fun of at some point in life, her initials are actually BJ. Oh, so God. for one of the first chiropractors, right? Yeah. So it's Brenna Jameslin, and I guess we made up Jameslin as a, um, apparently that's a, a name that we invented or, or something of the sort as a name through um, her family. So her uh, dad's middle name is James. Um, so, but BJ Palmer, one of the first chiropractors. So we we're going to try to do something similar with our son and that didn't necessarily work out, but she wanted to stick with B. So we picked Benton. Uh, and then his middle name is Leopold. Wow. I want to name him after my grandfather, uh, Leo. Um, I was super close with him. Um, you know, I, I think of all his dozen or so grandkids, I was probably like the one that was the closest to him. Mm-hmm. He grew up, or um, he moved here at 17 years old with a couple bucks in his pocket, met my grandmother, never went home. So we came from Switzerland. Wow. So I was with him while he was building his business and doing all this different stuff. And so I was like, I really want to name our son Leo. But my cousin did that already. So I was like, well, we can't really go with Leo because my cousin already did it. And I was like, well, how about Leopold? And then when I told my grandmother this, she goes, well, you know that was your grandfather's brother's name, right? It's like, nope. But I still got the family name thing, I guess. Yeah. So my wife thinks cool. it's super weird that uh, there was a Leo and a Leopold in the same family. I and mean, then, yeah, I get and then it. And the third uh, brother was Heinrich. So a little different, but. So you're, you guys are super European. Yeah. So he came over, um, yeah, he, he came over 17, 18 with maybe a couple dollars in his pocket, literally. And he would share stories about, he was literally the guy who would get up in the morning, do a bunch of work, walk a couple of hours to go see my grandmother, walk back, do a bunch more work, and eventually got tired of working for other people and opened his own business. Wow. So then every day when he was still working for somebody else, he would buy like one to three pieces of lumber every week because that's all they could afford. And he used that to build their house. That's really yeah. cool. What was his business? So he uh, he got into overhead doors. Okay. So he was it was Leo's overhead doors. He was a master carpenter. Like I said, they he built his own house and all the things that went along with it. So he taught me a lot of those skill sets along the way. But yeah. that's cool. My grandpa built his house. Yeah. That they live they lived in. It's still there actually. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, yeah my grandfather's grandfather is the one that came over from Germany. Mm-hmm. So, but man, 17, came over to America. Yeah, I might be off on the age, but it was something like that. Came over for vacation, met my grandmother, and went, I'm not going back. And then spent many years wooing her by walking hours back and forth from where he lived and worked to where she lived and worked. <laughs> Dating's changed a lot since then, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That? You yeah. can't even get a text sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I, talked, I, I talked to somebody, and I was like, did you call her? To, you know, ask her out or talk to her. Why? That's gross. He said, that's gross talking to someone on the phone. Wow. That's where we're at now. That's a, that speaks for depth of relationship right there. I mean, I don't know. It's the depth's wow. different now. People. Wow. It's gross to talk on the phone. <laughs> walking hours just to see her. Almost every day, as the story wow. was, was told to me. Yeah. Uphill. It was from the valley into the mountains, which was probably easy for him from being from... Uh, middle of Switzerland where, you know, mountains all the time. Is this here in Virginia or? This was upstate New York. Oh, okay. So, Because that's where y'all are from? Mm-hmm. And your yeah. wife is from there too? She's from, um, I'm from Troy, New York, near Albany. Uh-huh. Uh, she's from near Ithaca, Binghamton area. So about three hours apart, but. Cool. So. Wow. Yeah. Man. It's fun when you get them telling you stories about stuff. My, my grandmother's parents came over, so. But they were the uh, the family who 
where did she escape from? In Poland or something like that? Push this. Like they were, um, there was the, the stories you hear about the kids who they put all the family pictures in the kids' jackets. So when they passed the border stops, they got to keep all their belongings because they were trying to escape. Uh, wow. Like my grandmother just told me that a few years ago. I was like, how, will, how have you never had this conversation with me before? But that was that was her upbringing at a younger age, and I guess one of her siblings didn't make the journey into the next country over. But so, yeah, whoa, big stuff. Yeah, very big stuff. So, I like to think about those things sometimes when I when I think about the problems of the world as we see them now. To be like, we weren't trying to escape stuff. We weren't. Yeah, I've had this conversation with people before about our perspective on things. We were having an argument over the greatest generation, Mm. like calling like our grandparents the greatest generation. And, you know, it's just this idea that their reality was very like, I mean, it was two wars that they went through, like not just like the wars that we know, like I'm not trying to minimize like Iraq, Afghanistan and this stuff, but like, like world war one and world war two, I mean, the entire world was fighting mm-hmm. and they lived through that. They lived through the great depression. And it's like that thing of like that idea of like, especially with the war, like us, our age, we would probably have known five or six people that died mm-hmm. that went to war when we were 18 and didn't mm-hmm. come back home. Like we don't really know. I don't know that. Mm-mm. I don't know that reality. I don't know the reality where every single person in your family doesn't have a job because everything crashed. You know, there's, right. it's just, it's a, it's a lot that they went, I mean, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know? It's a, so when people are on like, well, we're living in the hardest time. No, no, we're not. Like mm-hmm. we might not have known that other time and it might be the hardest time you knew, but it's, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing really, really well, even with. You know, and I'm sure there's some people who disagree with all the stuff over the last couple of years. We're still way better off than trying to live through multiple world wars and famine and not knowing if you're even going to get food on the table because who knows if they could find it or not. Mm -hmm. Not let alone afford it, just find it. Have it be there at all, any supplies of any kind. Yeah, I remember my grandmother talking about just the art of canning. Mm. And like all they ate was the stuff that they canned. Yeah. And that was all that they would have, you know, And, and like... Yeah, yeah. It's just wild. Grandparents and even my even my parents growing up, they had their basement. Their their pantry mm-hmm. basement was like the size of an entire the entire bottom of the house. And mm-hmm. in New York, basements were a common thing. And uh, yeah, it was all just canned stuff. We'd spend so much time. I, I would remember them, you know, canning the tomatoes, making tomato sauce, canning the different vegetables. So there were hundreds of canned things. And my mom continued to do that because she learned it from um, her parents. And it just, it's not something we ever continued, but yeah, they would, you know, the, uh, what is it? The doomsday preppers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were doing it, but they weren't doing it for like the doomsday prep and stuff. It was just a way of life because they had to can the food to know yeah. if they would even have it in a couple of months from now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see the, like our grandparents and their parents, how saved everything, ate everything. Like, you know, nothing went to waste. Yeah. You know, I remember my grandparents would always buy a rotisserie chicken, and I swear they ate it until it was just the bone. Mm-hmm. And then they would save the bones, and then my grandma would make the broth, and then that's what you made her. She would make her soups out of. Like, yeah, we don't keep anything that one nowadays. Would be a whole yeah, week worth of food. Now we eat it one time and we're done. Yep. 
leftovers are so hard to eat. I eat the same yeah. thing three three days in a row, and I'm over it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. But it is perception. I mean, our perception of like what's hard is different from theirs and other people's, and right. it is. But yeah. Oh wow, man, we went on a we went on a thing. A spree there. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk to the kids. Um. So was their birth stories like? Yeah. So um, we are uh, like your wife, um, mm-hmm. pretty well skilled in helping in the chiropractic world, helping women have really natural, healthy childbirths. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something we do for basically all the patients who seek that with us, and mm-hmm. that is not our story for either one of our kids. Um, and I know my wife would be okay with me sharing this, um, and she has some unique anatomy, we'll call it. Um, so basically, we didn't know this the first round, but just. Brenna wouldn't go head down, wouldn't reposition. So we're the only option in our day and age now is a C-section because they just don't teach the doctors how to do anything else. Yeah. And even the doctors who are taught to do other things, if they do them in the hospital system, at least in Hampton Roads, they're kicked out and they lose their ability to practice. So they won't even try it. So like my brother was born breech, no big deal. Um, you know, up until recently, lots of kids were born breech, no big deal. But no, they don't even teach it now, so it wasn't an option. So... Um, that was a scheduled C-section for Brenna. The morning we got to the hospital, I remember the nurse asking, do you feel that? And my wife said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're in active labor. You're four minutes apart. She had no idea. So that's pretty good. Um, wow. so, she, so her comfort is we were there at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. That, that Brenna was coming that day regardless whether it had to be assisted or um, as the, uh, the nurse. And I'll always keep this one in mind because it, it lightened the mood. She called it a vaginal bypass. <laughs> right so that's just fun yep <laughs> so it's just a vaginal bypass no we're gonna um, we're gonna exit here instead yeah sorry pretty much yeah and trips then, uh, over while in the process c-section the surgeon went huh and that's um, great to hear isn't it yeah so my <laughs> my history is i've only had a couple of surgeries in life one of them was on my arm after i broke it snowboarding and my insist was i have to be awake for this surgery so they did a nerve block and as they were pulling the different bone chips out of my arm because it got stuck and I couldn't move my arm at all, um, the surgeon basically was like, well, I got two of them. I can't find the third one. And I'm watching the screen the whole time. And I said, hey, um, is it right there? He goes, is it right where? I said, it's right there. I've been looking at it for like 40 minutes, wondering why the heck you're not getting it. And he goes, oh, yeah, there it is. I didn't see it. So wow. while I didn't want to be a medical provider who did that kind of stuff, I want to know these things. Yeah. So he goes, huh. So her unique um, anatomy is she has what's called a unicornate uterus. Okay. So it's, different. it's only, it's a small percentage of the population, but so he's like, huh, want to see? So I can tell my wife, I love your guts because I've actually seen them. You saw inside. I did. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. But I can, you know, when we make these little comments of things, I said, no, I can literally say that I love your guts because I'm one of the few people on the world who have seen them. <laughs> it's it's like morbid, but not really. I mean, that's that's wild. Yeah. So, was, I mean, you know, if I, if I was maybe in a different profession, I would have had no desire. But he's like, yeah. hey, want to see? I was like, okay. I wonder if a lot of doctors do that. I don't know. I wonder. I don't if, think many people could handle that. Right. I don't I know if, if I could. I hadn't, because he asked, and he was like, and I wonder if it wasn't that, um, you know, we went through the whole years of anatomy lab and all that, and why I never wish to do that again. I guess it prepared my psychology for such a thing a little bit. Um, but I was like, sure, I'll see. And so, um, you know, then we ended up, you're supposed to be in the hospital for like three days or something after that. 
and it was the massive snowstorm that we had back in 2017. Yeah, I remember that. And they that. basically said to us, you can go home now or you can stay another week. And I looked at my wife and was like, so I'm in for whatever you want. Her ask of me was, I don't leave either her side or our daughter's side. If daughter has to go somewhere, I go with daughter and never lose track or never not see them or something. So um, I'm on the super comfortable little, you know, probably about the size of the chair we're sitting in for days couch that we're supposed to be sleeping on. Um, And I was like, whatever you want, I'm in. If you want to go home right now, I am more than happy to go home. If you want to stay for five days, I'm in for five days. We'll figure out how to get more clothes, whatever. I'm not concerned about it. And she goes, I'm over being in the hospital. Let's go home. Yeah. So we drove home as the storm was beginning. Um, and it was in Norfolk. So I still remember the drive, like over the train tracks, trying to go super gentle. And, um, oh, and then I, we were home and it snowed oh. for, you know, for days. And I don't clearly remember. I think maybe her mom was already here for like assistance and help from New York, but maybe she came down after. I don't totally remember it, but so, and then she lived cause we were in a two story house. She had to live downstairs for the next like three weeks on the couch. Yeah. Cause she wasn't allowed to go upstairs. Yeah. So. Carly was the same way. She didn't come. She didn't go downstairs and for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess Benton was the same. So she, Benton he had was to be much the same. So we thought we could do, um, or she thought she could do a VBAC. Uh-huh. So a regular childbirth after C-section. And I, uh-huh. I'm, again, I was like, I'm totally in. If you want to do this in our house, in a pool, with the support staff that needs to be there, I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm going to do for you mm-hmm. or, or with you, I guess, and support you in it. Um, and it was the same story again of no, no doctor here would even, even give the opportunity. So he was also breached. We went to a doc up in um, Richmond just as a doctor fits you um, as a second opinion. Um, like three weeks before she was supposed to give birth because at three weeks before the hospital here totally changed their story and said, this is your only option. You're scheduled C-section. We're not going to let you try. And she's like, this is not what we agreed to for the last eight and a half months. Mm -hmm. So we drove up there and while in the office, he's like, he's he's old school doctor. um, So he's like, so let's go play. He calls it. And I, I looked at her. I said, so I need you to be prepared right now. We have like a 10 step walk you're you need to like what i what i'm gonna warn you for is he's gonna turn this baby right now and she's like no he's not he's just gonna see the position i said no he definitely is um certain aspects of his bedside manner reminded my grandfather so Mm -hmm. while he was saying it in a joking way i knew exactly what he was about to do and we walked into the next room he brought in two support people and flipped benton over in that moment and then he goes you want me to put him back so uh, we then stuck with him and went back and forth from Richmond a bunch of times. And then um, it was now time for Benton to be born. And uh, so we drove up there and we got there. And the nurse that we talked to at the office said, oh, just come in right now, right after a water broke. I was like, yeah, but I don't think we're supposed to go right now. I think we're supposed to wait. But because they just did the turning and everything, they're bringing over the cloche. So we got there and they went, yeah, our options are we admit you now. Or there was this really pretty park across the street from, uh, I think it was Henrico's doctor's um, hospital or something. Mm -hmm. And we walked around that park for hours just waiting for stuff to get going. Because they they told us to come in. So we went in. And they're like, nope, you're too early. So they said, come back in like five or six hours. It was a pretty day. We just walked around the park for a long time. They then proceeded to do every possible thing to try to help her have a natural childbirth. And it didn't work. So after 32 or 34 hours straight, they're like, you can go another couple or we can just do the surgery. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you go another couple, 
it's not going to make a difference. So she had the surgery. Um, the surgeon was significantly better than the previous one she had. So her recovery was way less. Her um, just she was going up and downstairs within a couple of days, not a lot. Whereas mm-hmm. bef- the one before that, it was a good like two or three months before she could do it. So we were supposed to have the best surgeon that is down here. Obviously, he was having an off day. I don't know what was happening, but um, the person who ended up doing her her C section surgery was not even our primary doctor. It was another person that he had um, in the office, and she did amazing. So. And we were there for a couple of days and came home. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's was it. So is it hard being the profession that you're in and what you do for other people and not, and your story didn't get to be that yeah. way. I would say it was probably harder for her. Um, and it was, it was definitely hard for me, but for her, I think she was like, where did we fail? What did we do wrong? And mm-hmm. what the came to, teach us and i guess we need to learn it both times is you can do everything the most right way and especially when it comes to birth the baby's going to come the way the baby's going to come and Mm -hmm. thank god that such things as as c-sections and surgeries and things of that sort are available when they're needed Mm -hmm. Um, i do think they're way overutilized currently but when it's a legitimate medical reason to do it thank god those people are there because who knows what would have happened otherwise if, you know, because after 30 something hours, the little dude was not coming out. He was actually going the wrong way. So like, so, you know, yeah. that would have been, you know, talking about the greatest generation, that story from your, that may have been the end of, of a life as we knew it. Cause baby wasn't coming out. So while um, it's hard in knowing that, you know, we, we know we did everything right. It also makes it a little easier knowing we did everything and took every, possible way to have it happen the way she wanted it to and it didn't and that's okay yeah so now we get to come alongside people who are in that same challenge and if it doesn't work the way they want it to it's okay you still have a healthy baby at the end of the day yeah and i think that in some ways (laughs) like you said that guy was put in that comic book store for me to like not (laughs) read comics it's like because because you had your experience you can now empathize with people in a way that you couldn't before. Yeah. And I think empathy helps so mm-hmm. much in, in like connecting with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I hated school every moment that I was in school and school was hard and math was hard. And like, I felt I failed constantly in school. And I think that because of that, I'm a better teacher because when a mm-hmm. kid's like, no, I don't get it. I'm like, I know. I know you'd feel like you don't get it. It's, mm. you know, but you can, if you try and try this and then I can use my story to help mm-hmm. connect with them and guide them. Yeah. I try to try to look at things like that in life. Okay. What can I, and sometimes it takes me a while to come back to, but mm-hmm. what can I learn from this? Yeah. So one other things in Benton's birth story is he was not supposed to be the only one. Oh, really? So he was supposed to be a twin. Wow, I don't think I knew uh, that. Yeah, there's not not a whole lot of people do, and sometimes it's not even in my consciousness that that's a thing, but I think it's a legitimate part of his birth story to tell of he was a twin, and somewhere along the way, the twin didn't make it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So that's an incredibly hard thing. It's also the knowing of there's a reason why the other baby didn't make it for what, who knows why. Um, you know, I, I believe in a power greater than us, so they know, he knows why. Um, but he was supposed to be a twin, so now sometimes we go, well if we believe that um, souls choose their, their life that they're in, 
maybe there's supposed to be another one. We're pretty solid on we're not going to have any more kids. She doesn't want to have another C-section. Again, I, I never had to go through <laughs> surgeries like that. I totally support her decision on that. But yeah, you know, to know that he was supposed to be a twin and know that if we'd even just waited a couple more weeks before she had the ultrasound, we never would have known it. Well, there's something to learn from that. So you you had the ultrasound, saw that it was going to be a twin. Mm-hmm. Then you went to another ultrasound, and the twin was gone. So the first ultrasound that he was that he or she was there, but there was no heartbeat. There, so already gone. Oh, um, okay. So you know, it could have been that the same thing happened with Brenna. We didn't know it. It could have been, um, you know, whatever happened. But to to have that experience, as hard as it is, it's that same kind of thing as empathy. Because with what we do, there's been a handful of patients who have lost babies or lost twins or other things along the way, and I am not inherently somebody who's going to really want to connect with something like that. I'd much rather just put my nose down, get my job yeah. done, and know I did a good work, day's work. And that's not what gets people to really get to the breakthroughs they need. So having that experience, I can lean back on that a little bit. Or, um, you know, you shared earlier on that. Um, can, is it okay if I share what you shared earlier? About yeah, 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 okay. yeah, totally. Uh, that um, your uh, mom had a miscarriage before you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple of those before Benton. We mm-hmm. didn't plan on four years between our kids, but there was two, maybe three miscarriages along the way. And again, it all happens for a reason. And maybe that child would have had some kind of significant um, neurologic, who, what, who knows what kind of issue, but our bodies are really intelligently designed and, they, and her body made that choice for whatever the reason needed to be. So the fact that <clears throat> he came along and he was supposed to be a twin, but we still have him. That's amazing. And it's a miracle mm-hmm. because there was at least three that we know of miscarriages she had between Brent and Benton. We'd actually just kind of given up on the idea of more kids. And we're like, I guess it's just not going to happen unless, you know, God chooses it to be. And we kind of was out of our head. And then one day she was like, um, so I think I need to go get a pregnancy test <laughs> or she got it and then went and then showed it to me. And I was just so out, out, out of, you know, left field. I was like, what is this thing? yeah isn't that the wildest thing when they say i think i need to go get a pregnancy test or she had had it and she'd been taking them but she was like this is like my fifth one i'm really sure (laughs) or something it might not be but it was some multiple numbers of them and my brain just so what was so accepting at that point of the reality is this just isn't going to happen she shows this to me i was like what is this what does this even mean (laughs) (laughs) is this a covid test yeah, right. <laughs> What's the line mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Carly, she she just came to me. It was like we had just sat down for dinner. She's like, so so I'm gonna take a pregnancy test later. Mm. And I was like, and I remember I just put my my uh, dinner down. I was like, well, um, I can't eat now, so I think you need to go have one now. Thank you. Like it was just like <laughs> if by later you mean now. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, you can't just like spring. I think that's just such. A, I mean. Phew. It's such a yeah, whew. right. I love, but I I love y'all's outlook on that because, like, I was choosing the words wisely because I I didn't want to use the word tragedy because I was mm. going to say how like life uses tragedy in our lives to yeah. better us because, at the end of the day, it's the farthest thing from that mm-hmm. because it's like you're saying at the end of the day you've got Br- Brenna and Benton mm-hmm. he's two kids and you know honestly brenna is one of the highlights of my day she's so yeah. psyched on life when she comes out of the car or when she's coming out of the classroom yeah you know um just for those of you i teach at the school that brenna goes to but yeah she's always just so happy and it's mm-hmm. like the coolest thing to see this little kid just and it's, she's always running and she's just like yes. i did this ha, ha, ha. life's amazing <laughs> 
you know? And so, but you know, it's, it's great. Mm. And I think I, I wish that a lot of us, a lot of people could see that because we do, there is a lot of shame in involved in pregnancy that I'm noticing with mm. like, if you do it a, the way, a different way, you know, and we, yeah. we make it less than I, I see mm-hmm. people doing that. And I think that's just the hardest thing for me to, to witness because why does it, I mean, why does it matter? You know, I know that like informed choice is a big thing and I think we mm-hmm. need to know that there's other ways and we, of doing things, mm-hmm. but, but come on. Right. Right. You know? I mean, there's cer- certain, um, things neurologically that are benefited from a mm-hmm. natural birth process or the not vaginal bypass as yeah. the nurse called it. Right. So the squeezing of the head that activates certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with chiropractic and the skill sets that we have and your wife have, we can help them navigate through some of that if they don't have that process. But yeah, um, one of my biggest challenges with our current medical system is the shame in general. Yeah, totally. Like if you, the, the Hippocratic oath, right? Do no harm. Like what the heck are you guys doing most of the time? And I'm not knocking any one individual, but as a whole, as a system, I think it's really messed up. I have yeah. this theory that, um, this is probably going to make some people angry, but that's okay. Cause we're making people angry. We're making them think Yeah, that there's going to come a time in our future that what we are doing right now is going to be looked back upon as the dark ages of medicine. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of amazing things that can be done in a lot of lives that are saved. And the only reason I can be a chiropractor to adjust people is the amazing surgeon who removed the bone chips from when I broke my arm. And, you know, I'm not knocking any of that. And if we really take a look back at a lot of the stuff that's happening right now, like, what the heck? Yeah. It's the direct opposite of, you know, the <laughs> science of the whatever. It's the direct opposite of what a lot is. And a lot of it is convenience for the provider. And, I don't think there's really a place for that if we're really going to be about healthcare and not mm-hmm. just tragic intervention. Yeah. So whether it comes to be or not, I feel like somewhere down the road in some history book somewhere, there's going to be listed as the dark ages of medicine. Cause it wasn't that long ago. Like bloodletting was the thing. Mm-hmm. Like we really thought it was a good idea to do that for people. It, it really wasn't all that far back in the history of the current medical establishment we have at the moment. But. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hard. I don't, you know, I'm walking because of two knee surgeries and I'm really grateful that I had those two knee surgeries. You know, I'm, I'm running a half marathon and you know, on Sunday and I couldn't have done that Mm -hmm. without the surgeons doing the best jobs that they could on my knees, you know? So there is, there is a benefit to it, you know? And, but I'm also see this, I'm become a very skeptical person because I had eight surgeries on my ears and Mm. none of the eight surgeries fixed it, Mm. you know? No. So there's that, you know, I see that as, as from the patient perspective, right? You know, there's of definitely like, the both sides to it. There's a know? lot of good that it does, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of maybe more good that could be done. It's it's a learning process again. I I try to look at things of what can we learn from it. Yeah, and you know, things that we used to think like knee surgeries not that long ago, you were not walking for a long time yep. after the fact, and mm-hmm. now you're walking the same day. Like, oh my goodness, that that is amazing. And if you need a knee surgery, and if I ever need a knee surgery, thank God that exists. I can be back up the same day. Mm -hmm. And there's some other stuff that, you know, I think if it was really, really, truly about health, then we would be taking different perspectives than we're currently taking Mm -hmm. with with a lot of the stuff that's being done. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that you were using pig tendons as your new ACL. Yeah. Like there's a, uh, my mom's friend, he had, he was like, yep. 
I've got two pig tendons in my knees. Mm. And like, I got lucky that they were do. they did a graph of, I believe it's the patella tendon. Mm-hmm. And they use that as my new ACL. So it like, it just having your own body part replace uh, your own, bo- you know, what, yeah. what am I saying? Your own body part replacing your own body mm-hmm. part uh, made for just better acclimation. And, you know, I was walking, I couldn't walk the same day because I had a, uh, what's it called? Meniscus tears. Okay. Yeah. So I had that had to heal first. So it was about, but it was uh, five weeks after I was walking with crutches and then it was by eight. I could, I was kind of at like enough to where I didn't need much assistance. Mm. And then it just gradually progressed and now I'm, I'm running and stuff. And so, so yeah, there is, there is a benefit. I think, uh, I guess it's interesting because I've always, I haven't, I've had, you're the uh, one, two, three, fourth chiropractor. Just, it's just my circle yeah. of people I'm around. I had Bob, Dr. Bob, Dr. Marco. Um, no, you're the third. Okay. Because I had a guy, Andrew, his wife's Allison, mm-hmm. had him on. So I guess like, what you, you know, your view of health and wellness is probably different from most people. Mm-hmm. Do you have like, what, what's your view of that? Like, how do you view health and wellness? So, and it's taken me years to kind of navigate through to communicate this the right way. Uh-huh. Um, Cause one of the things we do is we teach a lot of classes in our office. Yeah. And sometimes people would interpret it as I'm just knocking on this or getting upset about that. And what I've come to realize is the current healthcare system we have it's really the very best tragedy intervention system on the planet. Uh-huh. I would want to go nowhere else if I had a tragedy or I had an injury, like a, 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 a need for like a knee issue or a shoulder issue or a, a heart issue or a stroke or whatever. There's no place better in the world than the United States for that. And I truly believe that. Yeah. And I think it's, you're hard pressed to apply the best tragedy intervention that exists and achieve health with it. Yeah. It's going to get you out of tragedy but it's not going to get you to really that ideal health that you'd have. So my idea of health and wellness is it's really by the definition of those words of you have incredible vibrant health. You can literally do virtually anything you want to do. If there's something you can't do for like when you had Marco on, he loves rock climbing, right? Yeah. So I, I don't have that skill set. but if I wanted to accomplish it, I could do it. It would just Mm -hmm. take some training. I don't have a physical limitation. Um, It's just not a, not a skill set I've really wanted to work on. So health and wellness for me is, you can literally go do whatever the heck you want to do. And if you put and apply it, your body the right way for the right training, you can accomplish it. You're not restricted or held back by whatever the health issue might mm-hmm. be. And if there is some kind of restriction, it's okay. Well, how do we overcome this, not compensate for, and just keep working with the same problem? Got it. So does that kind of answer the yep, question? It does. No. Yeah. I talk about that, that word vitality. Mm. That's my goal. I'm working towards with my life now. Yeah. Just to have that vitality of life that like we're all going to get sick, right? We're all going to have things that happen to us. We're not immune to sickness. It's like life is life. Things happen. I'll take some of that. Um, You know, I want to have, I want to have that vitality. I want to have the ability to like, when I get sick, I can bounce back from it easily with, with, you know, minimal, you know, minimal damage, you know, um, I think a lot of times I see people 
they're trying to like stop them from ever getting sick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just such a weird way. It's like fighting the, I look at it as fighting the wind, mm. you know, it's like, you're going to get sick. You're going to get a cold. You're going to have something, you know, when the weather changes, like it does sometimes here, we get sick just, just cause our body's like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, I think it's, illegitimate to think that you could have a level of vitality that you were never challenged by anything. So mm-hmm. some of the, um, one of the other hats I wear is I'm a coach for chiropractors. I teach and speak stuff around the country. And some of the other people that do that are, say things like, well, I haven't been sick. I haven't had a sniffle or a sore throat in 30 something years. I think you're full of crap. There is no possible way that you do what you do. You're surrounded by all the amount of people you're surrounded by. You're on the road dozens of weekends a year on plane rides and you haven't had a sniffle in 30 years, there's no possible way. Yeah. So is it legitimate to think that if that shows up, that you're going to have a much less issue with it? Um, like COVID, for example, right? The people who were hit by it hardest had 4.2 other comorbidities. Like they were already overweight. They had diabetes. They had all these other issues. Mm-hmm. And those who don't, did they still get COVID? Yes. Were they significantly challenged by COVID? Not really. Not according to the research anyway. And I'm sure you know somebody out there is going to hear and go, well, this person was perfectly healthy and I have plenty of friends and colleagues who had some of those comorbidities and are no longer on this planet after having COVID. Mm-hmm. And I have plenty more who got it, overcame it. One I can think of right now was one of my coaches originally, a great friend of mine. He was admitted to the hospital because his blood oxygen was so low. They sent him home the same day. He was on a ventilator the same day he went home because he makes the decisions in general to overcome and be able to do these things. And, wow. you know, not saying, so he still got it. You know, most people are going to get it at some point, whatever the sickness is, but how do we minimize it? And once we're there, if we screwed up in some way to set ourselves up for that, how do we maybe not screw up that way the next time? Yeah, totally. I mean, I got COVID. Yeah. I lost my sense of smell for a little while, had a slight sniffle, Mm. uh, and that was it. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting because... So like my life choices up until 29 were very different than that. 29 is right, right about when I met Carly and oh, got right. introduced to the chiropractic world. I grew is that up the comic th- book thing too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I noticed a difference in my body. There's a, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just thinking back to that guy with the long street. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So like, my view of health was totally different than before I met, got into this world mm. of chiropractic and, and mm. stuff. And it was a lot of like fast food and a lot of like, you know, cough medicines and things like that. And it was just interesting because yeah. people ask me all the time if I, do you really believe in all this crap? And I was like, mm. yeah. And, and they're like, how do you know, you know, how do you know, why do you believe in it? And I was just, I, my quality of life shifted mm. and it, I used, I tell people that chiropractic was kind of like the cornerstone because after meeting Carly and then getting into the chiropractic world, you kind of get thrown into like nutrition and health and these other things. Mm-hmm. And then I, as the longer I dated her, the less I would eat at these places and I would eat at these other places. And the less that I was like drinking sodas and I started noticing my, health was like better. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And this is interesting. And my, just everything just felt my ability to bounce back Mm -hmm. was like better. 
and I haven't had an ear infection since. Hmm. And I used to get two or three a year. Oh, wow. So it's just these things. It's just like I do get sick, but now there's just this like bounce back from it that's a lot better. And, you know, I still, you know, there's a lot of things that we do and pump up the vitamins and do Mm -hmm. these other things and getting adjusted. And it's a real thing. I don't know. I get it. But, But what I was saying, I got off track. You were talking about people that, weren't able to bounce back from COVID and things like that. It's like the guys that like, there's for every person who is like a health nut, Mm -hmm. there's someone who's done the opposite and lived longer, right? You have like the old man Mm -hmm. that smokes and eats bacon and and he's a hundred Yep, and he's still alive. And then you have the guy that runs consistently. He runs Mm -hmm. marathons, he's healthy and he drops dead after a race from a heart attack. So it's just, it's our bodies. It's just this wild thing, Mm man. Yeah. There's a very small genetic component. The more we learn about the human genome, like they thought they had it mapped out again. You know, when, when medicine goes, we found this new thing and we thought we had it all figured out. You gotta go, "Eh, yeah, you don't have it all figured out yet. (laughs) Like, oh, there's nerves that go between your intestines and your, your brain. And that's part of your immune system. It's like chiropractic has been saying that for a hundred something years, but you just finally found them. So they exist now. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a small genetic component. There's, you know, and who, who the heck knows? Who knows, you know, in truth, I, I know what my belief in my faith system is. And, you know, maybe that person's work on this world was done. So they were called home. And maybe the hundred something year olds guy who's eating bacon and drinking every single day and he's doing whatever he's doing. But there, there's going to be the outliers that, you know, on both sides that do yeah. everything perfect and just drop dead out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Like I can't think of his name. There was a baseball player a bunch of years ago. He went through every single possible test in the preseason to be cleared to play. The next day, he dropped out of a heart attack. Although his health, according to all his tests, he was perfectly fine. So you know, there's there's these kind of things that can happen, and I feel like our our job is to help people choose the thing that's going to get them closer to thriving mm-hmm. or vitality than just simply surviving. Yeah, I like that. Sorry about the fly that's oh, in here. Oh, good. It's crazy. First time it got me. <laughs> so how has, so how do you like, let's take your view of health and wellness. How is, does that affect how you are as a parent? Mm. Cause I think that's something, cause we, we gotta want to ask some more father questions and yeah. stuff like that. So how does, yeah. How does that affect you as a parent? So I think it guides me to make different decisions mm-hmm. than maybe people who didn't, either have the experiences or I don't want to necessarily say the knowledge, but maybe it's just the knowledge or the experience of the thing of, you know, if our, one of our kids gets a little bit of a sickness, we're not going to run out and grab the Tylenol. If they get a little bit of a fever, we're not going to grab the thing to bring their fever down because we have the understanding of the body is designed to do this stuff on purpose. Mm-hmm. The bacteria that's making them sick cannot survive when the body temperature goes up to like 102. And there is a zero documentation of any case in any literature that a kid that had 102, 103, 104 fever ever had any kind of brain damage. But the common belief out in the world is if you get a fever and you're a kid, you're going to have brain damage. So we have to take this medication to get rid of the fever mm-hmm. that the research has actually shown keep people longer, sick longer. And so I, I think to your question, it's, it guides me to make similar decisions for them as I would for myself. And it's the pause of let's not just react to the situation, which is really difficult sometimes, especially as a parent. Um, what was it when we were in Texas? 
Um, we were we were there. The, uh, Brenna's, uh, I'll call them the, her adopted grandparents, so Jen and Dean, great friends of ours. Um, she was out on a boat ride on um, the San Antonio River Walk with Jen and her daughter, and um, I was out doing something with some other people, and then um, my wife had Benton in her in our hotel room, and he was asleep, and she's like, can you check in on him, see where they are? We have this Life 360 thing so we can see where different people are. So they were on their way back, but it took a little longer because my wonderful daughter loves things very specifically, which is one of my most fun things about a parent and frustrating when we get to that in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So she noticed while we were on this river walk that some of the boats are pink. So she had to have the pink boat, which also meant there's a lot of boats that aren't pink. So she had to wait to get onto so the pink boat. So they waited. And Jen will do this for her. And I appreciate this because this is something that my wife and I are not necessarily going to have the patience for. She she gets to experience this with Jen. Uh, They waited for at least three, if not more, sets of boats to fill up with people before the pink one came along. (laughs) So now my five-year-old has this and there's pictures and she loved it. It was perfect. And if I did the boat ride with her, I'd be like, dude, we're getting on the boat that's from here. Let's just go. But on their way back, they were, I guess, kind of running across the street and one of the things that I encourage Brenna to know, because as you know, she runs around a lot, is to actually look where the heck she's going. Yeah. Well, she wasn't. Mm. And there are these barrier poles in front of hotels. And she turned around because something caught her eye, and she ran full speed into the pole. And bloody nose, black eye, like all this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So our initial, we could have had a really significant reaction to that, or to have the realization of, kids get hurt sometimes. She, yeah, she was rough for a day or two. Um, but now she's okay and ultimately she's fine. But mm-hmm. in the moment we're like, what in the world? And like, they, they were so apologetic. They were holding her hands. They were crossing the street and she just turned around and full speed into a concrete pole. So to kind of come back to the question of it, of that would have been really easy. And of course we checked to make sure things were okay. Like there were no broken bones or any of that sort, but it could have been easy to take that and rush to an emergency situation, which would have freaked the kid out even more and mm-hmm. to get the x-rays and the tests and the, this and the, that, and I mean, kids get hurt sometimes it happens. And the decision of what would I do for myself with the realization of sometimes I'm a little slow to take action on some of those things. Like one of the friends that I was mentioning who didn't survive COVID, he was too slow in, in doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a call with another great friend of mine, his coaching call for the day. And he's like, you need to go now. And he's like, no, I'm okay. And he, um, his 18 year old son was at home. And by the end of the day, he came to the top of the stairs and said, I don't remember the son's name. He said, you need to call the ambulance. I need to go. Dad didn't make it down the stairs. So there's that balance of knowing when it's time to take action, but not take action too soon to create more Mm -hmm. issue. So there are times to go and to make the decision of maybe, maybe we do need the antibiotic, the whatever. And most of the time, most of the things we're going to come in, in contact with or our kids will come in contact with, their bodies are more than capable to overcome them, making the assumption we're doing other healthy things. Like we're, you know, she's she eats relatively healthy food. She has her supplements that she takes to make up for the, <clears throat> the lack of things in certain foods. We're not filling her full of sugars and sodas mm-hmm. and junk all the time. So a week out, not even a week out, and her facial wound and busted nose is almost completely healed as if it was never there. Which, on the other side of that, if we weren't making such decisions to help her have that vitality, that's that thing could have hung out for like a month or two just waiting to heal. Yeah. I mean, I remember that's that's such a good point to talk about. I mean, I remember Jasper had hand, foot, and mouth disease. He got it, and it was it was a relative annoyance. 
rather than other people that I've known that have had it and it knocked them out. Yeah. You know, and he's the same way with like what we're putting in his body. I mean, mm-hmm. my wife is a lot more, uh, she, she goes over things with a, more of a fine tooth comb than I do, mm-hmm. but it's very much, you know, there's no candy or sugars or dairy and stuff like that. And, you know, I do credit that his ability to bounce back from those things from, you know, setting them up to win what, mm-hmm. you know, what we put in our body has a profound effect on us. You know, yeah. I mean, the less I ate McDonald's, the better my life was. Right. <laughs> it's like and those, those fast food things. When we would take those trips and adventures to the, all the seminars that we go to, mm-hmm. we were talking about before we started, you know, along the way, the only real thing to eat, unless you prepared was like, Wendy's or you know McDonald's or whatever other ones are out there and every time I drive by them on that route 113 and 13 I still think back to this used to be my stop every single time mm-hmm. and the slight occasion that I go have like a um, a Chick-fil-A I think Chick-fil-A is the only one I even you know, like I haven't been to Wendy's in years and I eat it and I'm just like why the heck did I make that decision I should have just went hungry I feel like crap now so and Chick-fil-A yeah. is I still believe is a little bit better than like a McDonald's or a Wendy or a Burger King or whatever and um, and it's, it's like, what is it right now? People are considering putting different fuel in their cars and mm-hmm. you can kind of do it for a short term. If you have a car that requires a higher level of fuel, you can do it short term, but if you do it long term, you're asking for trouble and your body is the same way. Yeah. If you put in re really high quality fuel, sure. It costs more with the exception of those couple of outliers. You're going to have a much healthier, more vibrant life than if you just put in the low grade or God forbid you put diesel in one day in your gasoline engine or something. Right where you're going to totally mess it up. <laughs> One might cost more, but it's going to get you more life to the car or life to your body and more miles. Yeah. Whereas opposed to, yeah, right now, guess five bucks a gallon that happened like no time. Right. And so every so often you can put a lower grade in for a tank or two, but you better not do it constantly or you're going to end up in a major mechanical issue. That's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than the extra 40 or 50 cents for the, for the couple you know, gallons of gas. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. I mean, it's hard. Because they make it so easy on us, don't they? Mm. And you that know? crap tastes so good. It does, doesn't it? I mean, I think about the fries. Mm-hmm. The fries. I think about how I used to eat my McDonald's, you know, yeah. and how I used to eat my Wendy's and all of that. Man. But, yeah, I mean, I eat Chick-fil-A once in a while now. I, yeah. I used to be, like, every two weeks I would have Chick-fil-A. Mm. Cause I'm from Georgia and it's yeah. like, it's a part of life. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I do notice that I do notice the feeling more, the, the longer that I go without it, mm. the worse the feeling is. Yeah. You know, when I, when I eat it, when you eat it, yeah. you know? I remember what, what turn and I, I must've been later teen, early twenties for whatever reason I was out of McDonald's and I thought to myself, I wonder what this burger tastes like without all this stuff on it. That's the last time I walked into a McDonald's. <laughs> I ate just the burger by itself. It was so disgusting. Yeah. I've never wanted to go back again. Yeah. I, I, I had a really bad uh, instance, and I was on the toilet for a while mm. after McDonald's. Yeah. Because I, I I hadn't had it for a while because this was, like, height of, like, just meeting Carly. And, mm. you know, I mean, with those, you guys you guys in chiropractic school are wild. <laughs> Let me just tell you. It's like everybody had those feet shoes. And everybody was eating raw. Mm. I, it just felt like every. I remember there was this one guy that I'll never forget. He, I heard that he used to eat everything raw, even his chicken. 
and he would dip his chicken into apple cider vinegar and let it soak there so it would kill the bacteria, Mm. and then he would eat it Mm. raw to get the maximum nutrients. It's a little extreme for me. Like wild, <laughs> like right? Like a lot extreme. Yeah. So there's a there's one of the theories about human brain development is when we learn to cook our food, specifically <laughs> the proteins. Well, I mean, it's like beans. You get more nutrients when you cook them. Right. You have to break the skins, and otherwise they're just they're flowing through you like the McDonald's. Yeah. Stuff. Right. <laughs> but other things you can't cook them. Like you know, if you juice, yeah. If you juice your your vegetables and your fruits and stuff, you're going to get better nutrients. But the longer it waits. The longer, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with chicken and pork. And I I get there's people that eat that stuff all the time and good for them, but yeah, I'm going to make sure that's cooked. So (laughs) give me a good raw steak, though. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So we talked about um, your kid's birth story. Did you you had a funny, you were telling me uh, you you had to ask your mom about your birth story because you didn't know? I did. When I got the questions, I was reading through them all and I thought to myself, I was like, I think I know the answers to most of these. But the only thing I know about my birth story is I had one. Like, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. So what I learned today, because it was on my way over here um, when I called my mom and I had finally had a chance to connect with her, of um, apparently my brother and I were both due on the 9th of our prospective months, and we both came on the 15th of our prospective months. So who knows if whoever wow. the doctor was just wasn't good at math. It's, it's yeah. a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but... In the the short version of what she shared on my, my drive over was that um, apparently I, I showed up in four hours from the time she went to the hospital. So wow. I told her I was like, I'm just efficient at getting stuff done. Um, <laughs> so it's not, she went a couple of times and I guess it was false labor. Like one of the times was 12 hours and they sent her home. But um, yeah, but it was kind of like the story, which just w- was interesting to me of my daughter. So my wife had my daughter. And we were basically told stay or go because there's a major snowstorm coming. And the day I was born in the morning, I, guess, I think she told me it was 729 in the morning, um, was the beginning of like one of the worst snowstorms in upstate New York in the entire 80s of like the entire decade of the 80s. So for days, no one could come see her. She was in the hospital by herself. Wow. My dad may or may not have been there. I'm not really sure. She didn't go into that part. Um, I, I don't, I'm guessing he maybe wasn't or somebody was at home with my older brother because he was only two um but for a couple of days nobody could come visit her um and then i guess i got to i really enjoy being in the hospital so i learned i guess i learned that early in life because i don't like going there now um i had jaundice to the point where if my numbers didn't improve they were going to give me a full blood transfusion i didn't know that till just till like right before i came here so um, I maybe maybe I was told it before, but I forgot. So then when I finally got to come home after, like I didn't need the transfusion, but they were about to just swap all my blood out. It was so bad. Um, after like the lights and the whatever else, it's finally started to change. So by the time I got to come home, I don't remember the exact timeline, but somewhere between like two weeks old and six weeks old, I was right back in the hospital and I almost died of pneumonia. So I kind of remember that. Um, but basically they told her if you waited any longer, like – like not that she really waited, but um, she's like, yeah. So after that first six weeks, you were good. You were the easiest kid ever. You were happy to wake up in the morning and just play with your toys and you know the little um, what are those things on the crib called where they have like the pa- the padded things that they don't recommend anymore, like the animals. She's like, you would just lay there and chat and talk to them and just play and have a good old time. But I went from almost needing all my blood replaced to almost dying of pneumonia. To she's like, and after that, you were an easy kid. Wow, <laughs> that's. 
And you had no idea. Is jaundice where you're yellow? So it's yellow. So it's a, yeah. um, an issue with the liver not not mm-hmm. not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, I guess. So I knew about the pneumonia thing, although I didn't necessarily remember it until she mm-hmm. reminded me. But I don't know if I knew about the jaundice part. About how basically I was the kid in the NICU. So I, I guess at three days, my brother was just, he was over it at two years old because he just woke up one day and mom was gone and mm-hmm. she didn't come back for three days. So he was like losing it. Yeah. So she would go home to like take care of him for a little bit and then come back to the hospital and back and forth until they finally, I guess my numbers came back enough that they said, okay, he can go home now. And then within three or four weeks, I was right back again with pneumonia I'm about to be not anymore. <laughs> so. How did that? So, so you go from having no idea to this, yeah. And then I love, I, I told you this earlier, but I love that. Like I asked this question because it forces a lot of guys to call their moms and yeah. ask this. And they, inter- they have these interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, my podcast is helping, helping sons connect with their mothers. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> but what was it? So what is it like to know that now? Like, is it, is it just, I don't so know. To be reminded of it. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's cool. It kind of goes back to that other conversation about health and vitality. Like, yeah. again, I am, it, I am so grateful for all the life-saving things that happen in our, our mm-hmm. healthcare or tragedy intervention system, wherever you want to call it every single day. And obviously, if it wasn't for that, then I wouldn't even be sitting here right now. I yeah. wouldn't be able to have conversations about what it's like to be a dad, the good, the bad, the whatever. And, you know, there are, so to know that, it's to kind of reflect back on it. But I... I think for me, the most interesting part of the story was for whatever reason, I was born in the midst of a major snowstorm. My daughter was born in the midst of a major snowstorm. And I got to check with my open. I'm pretty sure we got one at the end of March when my son was born last year. Yeah. Right. I think within a couple of days, there was a big, so I'm like, so what universally is that about that? Like we're all showing up in big storms of some kind and granted the kids didn't need to stay in the hospital for any extra time, but you know, that's interesting. Man, we could, we could spend an entire episode dissecting what that means yeah you know i like to think that it's almost like it's for your life is about connection Mm -hmm. and your ability to help people better because you know what it's like to have gone through these things Mm. you know i mean it's a powerful thing to like it's a powerful thing to be able to use these things to help other people Mm. You know, a lot of the the most powerful like coaches, uh, famous people, their stories, the stories that touch us the most are not the guy that's like, so I decided I wanted to be an actor, so now I'm an actor. Or I wanted to be a football player and I'm a football mm. player. It's the guy that's like, no, I came from here. I shouldn't be here. And look at what I've come from. Mm. You know, and, and, and I think that you choosing to have a profession that is giving to other people is a powerful thing. And now that you have these stories, you're even better at what you do because of that. Same thing Mm -hmm. with your wife, your wife being a chiropractor as well. You know, she's able to connect more with females because of what she's gone through. You know, like I said before, I'm able to connect with my students and help my students more because school was hard for me. Mm. So, so that, that's probably like the cliff notes of what we, I think what we would have come to. Yeah. Our conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you told me about your grandfather, Leopold, who sounds like a pretty dope guy. And I would have loved to have hung out with him. Um, Tell me about your dad. What was your dad like? So my dad, um, 
my parents split when I was somewhere in my pre or early teens. I'm not sure exactly when. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, I think, did a lot of great things. He also had a lot of demons he struggled mm-hmm. with. So I come from a long line of alcoholics that um, were physically abusive when they were alcoholic. Oh, okay. So as far as I know, I was never the recipient of that. My mom and brother were. Um, in the later years before my dad died, um, we were cleaning up our or improving upon our relationship. But um, I came from kind of witnessing and I, I shared a room or a wall with my parents so I could like I could hear as a kid growing up what was happening. I watched it happen to my brother. As far as I'm aware, I never received any of that. Um, and I don't necessarily like to say that because he's not around anymore and I think he regrets those decisions, but he had demons and he didn't have the help he needed for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really enjoyed alcohol and he didn't really have the ability to make good decisions related to anger issues, I think would be the nicest way to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I was my He died when I was whatever however old i was in 1999 i was supposed to be um he was on his way up to americade which is a big motorcycle rally in lake george new york um i was supposed to go with him i opted to go to the theme park with my friends that day Uh, my brother was supposed to go with my brother was next on the list to go my brother had something else happening um, so he didn't go but what we know of it is he was on his motorcycle on his way up to uh go to the park or, or go to um the the americade and the part of the highway where he came around there, it basically was a big blind corner. So he was mm-hmm. probably just cruising at highway speeds as he came around. The traffic was totally backed up. So what they surmised happened is he tried to lock, tried to lock up the brakes of the bike to, and tried to swerve over to the side to gain control, hit the rumble steps, lost control. And that was that. Um, so before that was happening, he was starting to clean some stuff up in his life, I think. He was getting help for the things he hadn't gotten help with before. Um, and learning as I went through, he was a uh, marshal. I didn't know that. So whatever you got to do to become a marshal, I still have his badge as one of my mementos of him. Um, and he was a, he was a marshal. He was a, I think he was also like a private investigator or something like that. Um, and in talking with his neighbors after the fact, they thought he was like some kind of like spy or something because he was... Like he was, I never knew this stuff till after, till after, um, but he would be up super early every morning, like going out and doing all this fitness stuff. He would, you know, really get just the stories. And I don't remember all of them at the moment that they would tell me, they're like, we thought he was doing something because he was obviously doing some kind of undercover work, but I'll never know what it was. Wow. Except that I found his, his, um, I, I think the one I have is a U.S. Marshal badge and no clue that that was ever happening. I knew he worked for uh, the New York state government as some kind of maybe accountant, maybe something like that. And just, my memory is we would go, he was in one of the high rises in the Capitol and he had a desk that he worked at. That's all I really know. Um, but he was doing something that I never got to learn about. And I don't think anybody really ever knew about um, just his neighbors were like, he's, we don't know what he's doing, but we feel like, you know, people make stories up. But then I found his Marshall badge and that's all I ever found of it. So I never found it anymore about that. So. So whatever his demons were, I think he was overcoming them and we were working on our relationship and then he died in the motorcycle accident. So would you have been on the bike with him? Yes. I would have been on the back of the bike. Yep. 
another we're we're going back to this oh, yeah. like there's a reason. <laughs> oh yeah. Steve, holy crap. It Steve. gets I mean like and where I was and where he was going were right next to each other. <sighs> Steve, so we're, we're leaving the theme park for the day and I get a phone call uh-huh. of basically I need to go back to the security office right now. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm on my way home. So my parents and their attempts of uh, my mom remarried, so my stepfather and their attempts of navigating this obviously difficult situation felt it prudent to call the theme park to tell them, just send him home. Tell him nothing, just send him home. <laughs> right. So imagine this. I'm like 17, 18, 19, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got my, my little two-door convertible Jeep that I drive super dumb most places I go at this point. And, yeah. Um, and I get this call, and they're like, you just need to come home. And I'm like, well, what in the world is going on? So I obviously drive home way faster than was probably, than not probably, than was legal or probably safe. Because um, I just know something's up, and I'm an hour away. And the nor- way I normally go would have been past the accident where my dad was. And when I went to go that way, there was a bunch of traffic. And I was to that theme park dozens of times as a kid. So I went a different way home for some, now I know, reason that day that I didn't drive by the accident where my dad was significantly injured and ultimately died. But like, without going into gruesome detail of what that was, um, you know, he almost didn't have an open casket. So, And I would have been on the back of the motorcycle if I didn't choose to go to the... Uh, the name of the theme park was the great escape it still is. Yeah. Um, I know where you're talking yeah, about to go up there that day with a couple of friends and kind of blow off this trip. I was supposed to do with my dad to go hang out with my high school buddies after like a prom or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Like that's like, <laughs> your life is literally a giant, just, like there is a reason mm-hmm. or like it's almost you could talk about fate mm-hmm. or like i mean you go a different way home imagine like oh my god you would have you might have seen it i could have seen it i don't you know that have i would have him i might have seen him over off the side of the road who knows wow. but i would have driven right past it with the way i would normally go home and i just decided to i don't know i think there was a little bit of traffic so i was like well i know i can go this way so i went the yeah. other way instead that day Man, no. that's wild. I'd, I'd love hearing stories about this. I don't mm-hmm. love he- the fact, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Not that absolutely. your dad died, but, like, you could have gone left and that would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I have moments. I remember going to uh, work and the light, I was going, there was a car in front of me that was, the light was turned yellow and that car sped through and i was like i can probably make it too but then i decided to stop Mm. and so i stopped and then that car got t-boned right through that light and i would have gotten into that accident and who knows what would have happened too and it's like that thing i mean man wow thank you for sharing that i mean that's pretty like intense So, so was there any, like anything that he did or your stepfather did that like you've, you've like find yourself doing as a Mm. father? Okay. And, and thinking on this, I really had to, while I try to look for the lesson, I also have a tendency to focus back on maybe the not so pretty parts. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I know some so some of the things if I were to really give it some thought that I I can credit my dad for is he was definitely outgoing. So he would he was the social light of the neighborhood. Um, you know everyone would come over and hang out at our house and our backyard with our pool and our basement had <clears throat> had the you know the pool table he had a full bar with a tap like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was so something I could strive a little bit more for would be to be that connector like your wife is just inherently amazing at getting people connected to hang out right that's definitely not something i'm really that good at at the end of the day sometimes I just want to go home and do very little yeah uh, and i could <clears throat> certainly see how life could be more fulfilling if there was more community time than maybe i've made time for but i don't want to say made time because at the same time i'm choosing to go home to be with my kids for the little bit of time i get to see them instead of going out and doing something at the same time um, so they were definitely good at, uh, boundaries, which is sitting on the wall right there. Oh yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> their reaction when boundaries were crossed were not things I ever choose to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was challenged with physical abusiveness. Um, and as far as I know, never overcome the alcoholism. Uh, my stepfather is a recovered alcoholic for years. Um, I mean, all the years we've known him, at least. Um, so boundaries are definitely a thing. Of, if you cross the boundary, there is a response that's very strong, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I find myself doing is uh, in this, to stay in the deep place we are at the moment is I put myself in counseling a couple months ago. Because I was not happy with my response to my kids. Yeah. I didn't like who I was showing up as when they were not doing, she's five years old. Like, what can I really expect? Like, on the neurologic standpoint, as what I do, I know that sometimes I tell her to do things three and four times, and her brain hasn't even figured out I said a word to her yet. Yeah. I get it. But I would find myself going towards that, the yelling, the never the physical. I've always stopped myself if I've ever had the the thought of anything of that sort. It's, I've always just, it's never even, my hands never even come up. I've always just walked away or done something else. Yeah. I was sensing of, I don't like the way I'm responding. I don't want my kids to me, maybe sitting, having a conversation like this one day and say, daddy used to yell at me a lot Mm -hmm. or whatever. So the lesson there is, I guess I got to see that and why there was definite benefit to, um, you know, the experience of that to some extent, the other benefit is I don't want to be that parent. I don't want to be that dad. So my primary reason for choosing to go into uh, counseling with neurofeedback where they put little sensors on my brain and help reprogram the brainwaves yep. was so that I could make different decisions in heated moments, if that makes sense. Um, I also was finding I just didn't have maybe the same level of happiness I was used to having. And I think it was all related, just the stress of the world that we're living in. But um I was realizing this is not what I want to do. This is not what I want my kids to think back on. I don't like this reaction. And obviously I don't have this tool set to fix it myself. So um, with some encouragement from my wife, I chose to put myself in some therapy and some counseling to try to reprogram that. And I've noticed improvements in that of I'm, I'm less likely to have that zero to 60 reaction and it's getting better. So, but I think maybe if I didn't have the experience of um, the physical side of my birth father or the the other reaction side of my stepfather, 
that maybe I wouldn't even have the realization of I'm going to break this generational thing because um, my grandfather is you know, amazing as a man as he was and I wouldn't change a thing. Before I knew him, he was the same as my dad. Really? So before I was born, he was an abusive alcoholic to mm-hmm. his kids. Um, you know, I, I find that hard to believe, but I'm not going to dis, discontinue or, you know, disassemble any stories that I hear of it, but that's where he was. And he realized he had a problem and he changed it. So, you know, there's a history of that in my family and I don't want to go down that history. So to have that experience, I guess, has given me the tool to realize I have a chance to do something different mm-hmm. and to change that. So it's not the next generation down of maybe my son or maybe my daughter when they have kids of having that less than ideal reaction. Like I don't just like the sickness thing. I don't think it's legitimate to think I'm never going to yell at a kid or I'm never going to have a negative emotional reaction. But when it's more, it's happening more than it, than I, than it probably should. And it's happening over really stupid little things. Then that's a problem. Yeah. So, and I, and I'm sure every parent does that and I want to do better. Well, it's, it's a, it's recognizing something that is the yeah. power in it mm. because there's yelling and then there's yelling. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's yelling with a lowercase Y versus a yeller with a, like yelling with all uppercase letters. Yeah. And that's, that's different. Mm-hmm. And we can, and kids feel that we know that. And we knew that from our parents doing it. And like, so like you're recognizing that there's an issue. I mean, Steve, hell yeah. Like that's like, that's the, like, it's awesome. I think I love the fact I've been in, I've been in therapy for 10 years, almost, almost 10 years. And it has saved me so much. And I'm mm. constantly learning and growing from it too. But I mean, it's this, you know, my therapy is from, you know, being a part of a church that was called a cult. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I'm seeing other patterns and, and things like that. Yeah. And so that's why I'm doing it. But, but, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing to try to switch it up, you know, try mm. to like, let's, let's see if I can do it this way instead, mm. you know, and that's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. It's Understanding is however we react to our kids is the same way someone reacted to us at the same age. Mm-hmm. So knowing what little I remember of um, my dad at the time, well, no freaking wonder why I'm yelling, right? Yeah. Or no wonder why I find myself wanting to, not wanting to, but almost having the reaction of doing something that I will never do as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've committed to doing that. So even if I, if I have the thought of it, I just walk away. Yeah. If it's my little dude of one of the most challenging things is little dude crying. Like for whatever reason that it didn't bother me nearly as much when my daughter did it. It really gets me when he does it. And again, it's better than it was, you know, a year ago. But when he cries, I like, I, and I can't console him. It just, it like frustrates the shit out of me. Yeah. So to be able to, sometimes I just got to set him down and walk away because I don't want to do the other option of would you just shut the whatever, you know, or at his little neurology, he doesn't need to hear that stuff. Even if I'm feeling that stuff <clears throat> to go, I just need to put him down and walk away and come back a couple minutes later. Even if he's freaking out even more because mm-hmm. I left him sitting in a room by himself, that's still better than however I was treated at that same age, mm-hmm. which again, I'm not faulting anybody for it. I'm sure my dad learned the same thing from his, what, who cares? They didn't have the tools. Yeah. That who, we have I mean, now. it happened. So who cares that it happened? It's resulted in who I am now having the ability to look for the tool to change it. 
So is it good to happen? Sure. And that I have an opportunity to change that. So it's not another of who knows how many generations of this is how dads reacted to their kids when they didn't do exactly what they said in the exact moment they said it. It's so, so powerful because I mean, I'm, I'm of the mindset of like, just because it was this, why does it have to be this? Right. You know what I mean? Like, why does, why do we have to talk to our kids this way? Mm -hmm. You know, why do we have to spank? Yeah. Because, because they did it. Like, is there other ways? And I tell people it's been easier for me with regards to spanking, which I I don't agree with. Um, Mm -hmm. And mainly it's because for the last uh, seven or eight years, I've been in a profession where if I were to spank one of the child, I would be in prison. Right. (laughs) You know, I've had to find other ways to discipline and get people to, to do what I say. Mm without physical violence. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to tell yeah. someone that for the first time and they were like, Oh yeah. 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 I was like, imagine if I spanked your kid because they didn't do their times tables. Right. And right. that guy was like, that guy was like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it. Like how ridiculous is it that that's even a program thing in our society that that's okay to do. Like yeah. until I had kids, <laughs> I believed that I was okay with the idea of occasionally spanking. I mean, I was, I've I was never spank- spanked either of my kids. Yeah. I've been really, really, really freaking close. And maybe I've given them a little tap, but nothing like an actual, like, mm-hmm. pay attention. I'm going to spank you. Like up until I had my own kids, I was like, all these people are like, never don't spank your kids. I was like, you're full of crap. Sometimes, you know, kids just need to learn, but that's how I was brought up. So that's even if I realized yeah. it or not, that was what I was accepting. And then once I had my own kids, I was like, I don't want to be that parent who does that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, going to find ways to not do that basically. Yeah. And so what shifted my, so, so really, I mean, I was spanked my entire life. Um, I was all, I mean, I got in trouble. I mean, I've been, I've been spanked all the time. I mean, my, <laughs> the worst time I've been spanked was when it was in, I was in a bathroom at church cause I was that bad in Bible mm. class, but it was just, that's just what it was. And you think that like, no kids get in trouble. They need to know a punishment. Right. But what I and, and so it, it shifted the most as I was a teacher because I watched how teachers who were very like verbal and like forceful and like yelled mm. and like did these these things to these kids to get them in, to get in line or something. It felt what I was noticing was it was like you were domesticating a dog. Mm. and you're getting the kids to get in line through this, but they're not learning anything. They're just getting in line because if they get out of line, they're going to get hurt. Mm. And it only goes so far. Those kids in those classes were never, they never really understood things. They just were fear of being punished. Mm. Like a dog is a fear of being beat or like spanked. And so, I just, I was like, I, there's gotta be, there's gotta be another way. Yeah. I can't, I don't want a domesticated kid. I want a kid who knows boundaries, mm. but I don't want to just like, I, I just couldn't. I can't, like, it just viscerally, mm. it like, it started to like shift. And then once I, I mean, my God, once I had him. I'm like, yeah. you know, it was easy to see that on like 
when it wasn't my kids and now I mm. have one and I'm like, I could, I can't, I couldn't do that. It's an interesting way to, to think about it. I've never thought of it that way, but like domesticating. Yeah. You know? Cause you're only teaching your, what happens that there's pain if you get out of line. Yes. And there's no highlight. And we, we don't think that kids can do that. Mm. And kids have the ability to understand things on a higher level than we, we think. And I see it in my kid and how we talk to Mm -hmm. him. And I see it in how I've been a teacher and how, I mean, kids understand and kids as they're developing the connections in the brain start to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you hit a kid for not doing it. They realize that, you know, if you're bad, you get punished. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a scarier thing to me because it, it, it just, yeah. And pain, <sighs> pain permanently changes neurology. Mm-hmm. So they're just starting to figure this stuff out yeah. in, in medical science. But um, like my wife said to me the other day, she's like, did you know? And she, I guess she had just learned that up until recently, they did like open heart surgery on infants without anesthesia because they didn't think kids felt pain. Oh my like God. what in the freaking world? Like how, how do you believe that? But then if we go down a different path of, you know, things we don't need to go down today, but the idea of, you know, if somebody is pregnant and chooses to not have the child or whatever of, and the theory is, well, they don't feel pain. Well, whatever. But to do major surgeries on infants, because you don't think they feel pain. Like even, you know, if somebody chooses to like circumcise their kid or whatever, there's, I don't know what pros actually still exist for that, but there's a lot of cons for that. Um, now that we (laughs) understand more of the, now that we understand more about it, um, you know that, and they know that when that's done, that permanently changes the neurology forever. It never ever goes back. It's so fucking scary. I mean, I felt that because you know our kid had to have his a tongue the tongue tie removed. Yeah, same idea. And it was it so was ours. it was a five minute procedure, but I like I remember my wife and I like my wife. You know, probably more because she's more in 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 that world. Mm-hmm but forever changing. I mean, I felt that when he had to, uh, they were, uh, they were trying to get the blood sample or something after his birth. And they had to go into his foot. Mm -hmm. And I remember it wasn't working and they kept having to poke him and kept having to poke him. And you just, Oh, you just, it's just scary. Development in young children is so powerful. And I'm not in the medical field, but being a teacher, we, we talked so many, we took so many child development classes and mm-hmm. it's such a thing that if it, if something shifts, I mean, it, it, it's almost like they can't get it back ever, you know? And it's, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a wild thing. So no, I don't want to spank my kid. Yeah. Right. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want him. And I think also what my wife told me is we have this thing that comes to us for everything, life, love, happiness, joy. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're going to be afraid of you because of this, like that. I mean, (laughs) like that's, it's something I can't wrap my head around. And I know that I'm, I know that there's another way. Right. And that's, that's just how I I just, I know there's another way and I'm not going to subscribe to the fact Mm -hmm. just because this is how it was. This is how it is. Mm. I mean, how can we expect when, if we chose that other path that we're evidently not choosing mm-hmm. that when they run into big issues later on in life, they don't have the tools for it. 
No, no, no. Well, who are they going to go to? Yeah. I think the only response is going to be like they're a young teenager and they make a decision physically that maybe we wouldn't desire they would make with another human being or whatever. Like who in the world are they going to come have that conversation with if they think the only thing coming towards them is pain? Yeah. They're already obviously in pain if they're coming to you with that challenge. And yeah, I, as someone who has a daughter and a son, I hope I, I, evidently that stuff's going to happen at some point. I hope it happens way later. Yeah. And I hope that that value system is built in that it happens way later than sooner. Mm-hmm. And if it does, I want them to feel safe in talking to me about it. Not this yeah. happened. I don't even know who the heck to go to anymore because mommy and daddy are just going to get so mad at me or put me in a state of fear or whatever. So it's really, really challenging. And I'm with you on that of, you know, neurologically things change, their coping systems change, their ability to interact, interact with the world that neurologically it all changes when there are significant amounts of pain. Mm-hmm. And we're just starting in medicine to figure this stuff out. But as a, anyone who's ever been a parent's like, no, you know, from a really young age, your, your kid knows that what this stuff is and feels it. Yeah. And while they might not necessarily be able to process some of that stuff, although like you're saying, they can probably process a heck of a lot more than we give them credit to. Supposedly they have more neuron, not supposedly they have more neurons in their brain firing right now than you or I do. Mm-hmm. So to think that they can't process something. Who, yeah. Like, come on, maybe they, they don't understand certain things like it takes some, what is it? Four or five or five or six or seven years old. So they understand the concept of time. So maybe they don't understand some concepts that we've created in our society, but there's no way they don't get that stuff. Yeah. It's so they're all ego, right? Mm. Right now, everything that the kid from like, you know, four under it's all ego, you know, it's food. Now I Mm. want, give it, you know, that kind of thing. So they understand the basics, but they can't do that other the processing of mm-hmm. like, I think that's what we're getting to, but yeah, it's powerful. And I think it's even powerful with how we deal with boys versus how we deal with girls. I mean, I'm, I think we, we, we feel like we have to physically put down the boys and then we, we uh, treat these girls like they're fragile little things. And mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard for me, you know, beat the boy into, you know, they can handle it. Right. You know, kind of crap. Yeah. And that's the stuff that makes me <laughs> so want to like my brother used to say, and again, I don't, I, I don't fault him for any of it. He was just doing what he learned from my dad. But when he used to beat the crap out of me, mm-hmm. he was like, I'm just making you stronger. I'm like, I'm sure you, you learned that from somewhere and passed it along. So, you know, up until the day that he didn't win the fight, he mm-hmm. did that all the time. Um, yeah. And I don't fault him for it. I don't hold any of it against him because he didn't know anything different. Yeah. So that's what he did. But it's yeah. interesting to think about just the reaction of what I have, even if, like a couple of years ago when my daughter was in, was her first year or two of life compared to the action of my son. I'm like, what, like, why is this different? And I haven't processed all the way through that yet, but just, I have a more less ideal reaction to an inconsolable son than I did to a daughter. And I don't know what that's about. Oh, it's, it's, there. it's, there's something I think, uh, within our, our biology, mm. I've been reading this book called Raising Cain, and it's about boys and their emotional health and stuff. And, and it's, I think, you know, we're wired differently on some levels than girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a parent. You know, I, you watch a, a, a two-year-old boy play with things versus a two-year-old girl, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just different. Yeah, um, That doesn't mean that boys should be, like, whipped versus girls i think there's just approaches to it that are different and there's a way to honor the the boy honoring the girl Mm. um 
I just have a hard time because I've watched how teachers deal with boys versus teachers dealing with girls. And it makes me want to burn the city down. Hmm. Like that's how it gets so angry because I was, I was a boy that couldn't sit still Mm -hmm. and I had no place in public school. And so, and how I was treated because of that, you know, Hmm. and it's, it's hard. So long story short, I don't think we should spank. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I believed that before I had kids. I thought I was like, maybe somewhere else of the least system of. Well, that that's why we have all these this generation of kids that don't know how to do hard work about like whatever that line is. Yeah. But now that I, now that I'm there and I'm in it and I've been a parent for five plus years, I'm like, no, I don't, that's not no. that's not what we should do. No. And it might be a pre pre trained in thing, and you know, just what I learned growing up. Mm-hmm. still no I'm not gonna do it yeah so I think we've really gotten into some of like what's the hardest thing about being a parent mm. and stuff like that yeah um what's been something as a dad that just like clicked mm. like you didn't have to try it's just all of a sudden you did it and it was over like you were put in a situation or something that's been easy and just clicked and you didn't mm. have to try has there been mm. anything I think it would be, if I think about it, I would go to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of what, what you mentioned about the highlight of your day, like just seeing the joy in her. Uh-huh. And to have the realization in my own journey and the counseling I've been in of when it's a challenge moment, mm-hmm. how easy it is to just turn it into fun. Mm-hmm. If we can take the breath and do that. So um, some of my greatest joys and some of my greatest frustrations are the same thing. Um, and it's to watch... And I, it just happened right before I came here, right before, mm-hmm. you know, helping her get to bed of, um, we were one of our rules on, or one of my rules on vacation or our rules that we haven't really necessarily been following is very minimal screen time. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to be in the mountains or we're going to be at the beach, we're going to do stuff that doesn't require us to turn a TV on. And if we have, and if we're going to turn it on, it's going to be for a very short amount of time for a very specific reason. So for most of the week, there's been no screen time. Well, now that we're home, my wife wasn't feeling the greatest the last couple of days. So um, she was resting. She put a movie on for them to watch. And then it came time to go to bed. And I was like, well, let's see how much is left of this next show. She's watching like Spider-Man. So I'm pretty excited. I'm getting her superheroes already. That's good for me. Yeah, um, good. And uh, I was like, oh, this is a 20 minute show. We got like seven minutes till bed. So you can watch it for like eight minutes or whatever. And then when it was time, I came to get her and she just was so frustrated with me yeah. <laughs> that I wasn't letting her watch the whole show. And the entertainment of that for me overruled the the challenge that it could have been because her reaction, she learned from one of her parents. I won't necessarily say which one, um, but learned. And we both have the same reaction, but learned a little bit more. of it. So I see that happen. And I just now I kind of on the inside, like laugh at it a little bit before having that initial like I'm just frustrated because you're not listening to me thing yeah of like I know exactly where this came from this is totally my fault or this is totally you know I will never say it's my wife's fault I'm too intelligent for that Um, but you know Mm -hmm. I've watched this happen over here and now I'm watching it happen again and it's on some level it's the funniest thing and it's the hardest thing at the same exact time like I taught you to do that shit yeah and now I'm getting pissed off because you're doing exactly what I taught you to do oh my god it's (laughs) so funny when you see them doing those things right Yeah, like a little God. little stomp of the foot, a little. I'm so like she you literally used the words I used with her at some point on vacation about my frustration or aggravate or something. I was like, whatever it is right now, we need to change and flip your. Flip, we were on a hike. We only got to go on one, like a short hike, 
And when it was downhill time, she was she, she was loving it. She was she loves being the line leader at school. Mm-hmm. She hates yeah. being the caboose at school. I but yeah, right? I can see that. Yeah. So um, then it time came time to go back uphill, and instantly she was tired, had to be carried. She's not a small kid. She's got to be sixty mm-hmm. something pounds. And I was like, it's not happening. So we're the only ones on the whole trail. She sits down on the trail and just has a little fit. And I was like, all right, see you later. <laughs> so we continue up the trail. And then when she catches up to me, she goes, Dad, I'm really trying to turn my attitude around. And I was like, yes. parenting win. Yes. But I could have been, yeah. I could have went to get the F off the ground. Let's, mm-hmm. let, I'm not carrying you back up this mountain. You chose to come. Like I could have totally went down that route and I almost didn't. Instead, I went, you know what? I'm just going to let her have her emotions for a couple of minutes. And then she catches back up. She goes, I'm really trying to turn my attitude around. I was like, you're amazing. I love that so much. It's so hard to pause, isn't it? Yeah. I have a bracelet and it says pause Mm. because that's my thing. I mean, it's everybody's thing, but it's specifically my thing, that pausing. Mm. Because pausing and changing the conversation is the most powerful fucking thing. You know, like her saying that. I mean, something connected in her brain to do that mm. and to say that. And to th- it doesn't mean that she's going to be perfect now. Right. She's still five. She's five. five. Yeah. Wow, she's five. she's five. That's crazy. But anyway. No. But just that, that, was, that was definitely one of those joy-winning parenting mm-hmm. moments. And, yeah. you know, what could have easily been a... I'm going to get really aggravated and frustrated with you at this very moment on the ground. Of, yeah. I know you're safe on this trail that there's nobody around. So I'm just going to walk a couple hundred yards ahead and still keep an eye on you the whole time for her to come catch up to me and go, I'm turning my attitude around or whatever. Maybe that was not her words, but mm-hmm. it was something along those lines of, wow, she's like, she really got one of the things I've been trying to teach her of, you know, when we're in a challenge situation and we don't like it, we have a choice. Yep. We say that. I say that to Benton all the time. He's not even one. I'm like, and he's crying. I'm like, dude, if you don't like your situation, change it. Yeah. He just looks at me. He's like, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, we talked. We talked to him a bunch about that. We're always, we let him go have his space. Yeah. Sometimes he'll walk away. Do you need some space right now? Yeah, I need some space. Yeah, and it's perfect because mm-hmm. then he's usually like, you know, calmer and he picks up his toys or he's doing whatever. You know, mm-hmm. he's more agreeable. Yeah. Um. Is there anything that you think you, I mean, I know we're so, it's always funny that I put this in that you would do over because we're, both of us are so early in the game of Mm -hmm. parenting, Mm -hmm. but has there been anything that you would like do over or change? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think the big one for me was the realization of I didn't like the re- I don't want to say the dad I was becoming or the but it was more the reactions I was having if I didn't like it. Yeah, I get so that. So I'm already mm-hmm. I'm already cha- working on changing that. Um I think I still have a long road to go. I think I've come a long way on the road. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that would be the big thing. Um maybe on the the overall parenting standpoint, why I again support and will do it. Um we've co-sleeped. So that's Oh, really? A challenge. Like all of you, all four of you are in the So the now Bren is actually in her own room most of okay. the night. But it's mm-hmm. really been since Benton was born that she did otherwise she was coming back every night. So now Benton's in the bed every night. So mm-hmm. on a, I guess, at some level, why I don't really think, like along with spanking, cry it out is not a good option, I don't think. 
um, just neurologically, it basically teaches them no one's coming back. Right. Yeah. And there's, I've, oh God. Yeah. Okay. Right. We've gone so, a lot. Of, yeah. Right. But same, yeah. same, kind of the same idea of the, the spanking thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I'm in, I support it. And if I could do it a little different, maybe it would be figuring out how to transition the kids into their own room a little faster. So is he like in between y'all or does he have a, a bed? He's in between us. Yeah. Cause our, he was with us for a couple months, but he had a little bed at the front of our bed mm. and that's where yeah. he was for most of the night yeah we tried the and, it, and maybe we waited too long we tried the um the pack and play bed thing right next to the bed but he mm-hmm. wakes up and he like reaches out and if one of us isn't there then he's done mm-hmm. and if it's not my wife specifically he's done <laughs> is that like, yeah is I, that... like i try to console him like if she's up like helping with brent in the middle of the night, like brent wakes up for whatever reason and wants mom and not me um which is you know a little a little dagger to the heart but i'm like whatever um and I, and I try to console him. It just makes him all the more pissed off that mom's not there in the middle of the night. And I'm like, she's like, why don't you try to help him out? I was like, if I do, he gets even more angry. So I'm just going to just not interact with him to some extent. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Because they want, they want, they want the wives. Mm-hmm. They want mommy. Yeah. You're not mom. You're not the, the comfort source that comes with mom. You're not going to feed me in the middle of the night when I'm hungry. So like, he's like, yeah, great. You're here, dad, but I'm more angry because you're not the one I want. Yeah. I mean, he's still. Yeah, and he's, he'll be one at the end of the month. So, like, it's yeah. if I were to change something, it would be to to help them feel safe in the transition to their own space at night faster. Mm-hmm. So, whatever that looks like. We've tried a bunch of different things. You know, your wife has made some amazing suggestions, like the fairy door and the fairy coming to visit. And um, so, that, that worked a couple of times. And then, you know, Brenna would get the letter from, I think it's Fairy Rosebud who comes to visit yep, her, fairy right? Fairy Rosebud. Yeah. Yeah, and then she'd be like, "Remember that time I got the letter?" I was like, "I remember. It was a long time ago. You should try to get another one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It, it's such. I think it's it's all about a balance, and I think it's all about what works for for mm-hmm. y'all, right? You know. So I'm sure somebody's asked the question back to you. What? Of if you could change something, what would it be? Looking back. Oh, if I could change something, it would be be more in the fucking moment. Mm. I've been, I'm very much, I mean, I've, I'm like, I'm like 11 or 12 years out of a pretty, pretty wild situation as regards to church. And so I've been doing a lot of working on myself and then I'm, I'm very much, uh, and then, well, and then like right before that, like right before Jasper was born a month before my dad died. And so <laughs> I went from like, like this process. I, I mean, it was like everything got knocked off center for me mm. really fast. And like, not even like, I mean, my dad was, I mean, I called him every Sunday. We had a great relationship and he died of pancreatic cancer. Mm. It took him really fast. So processing that was hard. And then I had to become a father right after that. Mm. So like that was, I mean, I feel like my head was spinning for about a year and a half Mm. and there was a lot of, of transitioning and then I got a new job. I mean, yeah, I got, (laughs) got a new job in the middle of that too. Um, so there was a lot of like me figuring out. Pro- grieving my father, processing being a dad, 
you know, new job, new everything. So like, I just really wasn't in the moment and mm. I really wanted to perform because I know that my, my wife really wanted the natural birth. And I don't know if you know this, but like on our first or second conversation, we talked about home births. So it has always yeah. been a thing for me to like, mm. to have a kid at home. Mm -hmm. So that was something. And just being, I was, I was more focused on the process of everything versus the majesty of the moment. And mm. it took, it took a lot of stuff to get me back into it. Like being back present in the moment, I'm still learning, but like, I mean, it took falling down the stairs and blowing out my knee to get back into the moment then you know so i've been very much trying to be present because i know that like how you see will determine what you see so i think mm. i missed out on a few things that I, i'm not going to get back and luckily i realize that now like you know you realizing that you need to be in counseling yeah. now versus like when they're 16 and have way more issues yeah. you know, <laughs> right like I missed a couple of things, but I've been more present in these few other moments that have been really powerful for me. Mm. And it's helped me connect to him and my wife more. So that would be it. Yeah. I mean, it was like his, uh, yeah, I just, I just get so, I get so in like, what's next? What do we got to do mm. that, that like dad, like man, part of me, like the process of things and how we're going to get out of this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I like when you guys ask me questions cause yeah. I'm asking you a lot of, you, not many people ask me these things. Oh, okay. So, hmm. so it's fun, but yeah, yeah, that would be what I would change. Yeah. Be more in the moment. Yeah. Hmm. So, so what do you think? So I got to talk about this because you and your wife work together. What's that like? I mean, and, and I know that I'm putting you on blast with that, but, you know. Yeah. So for me, it's one of the, well, as my wife would say, our first year was the hardest year of her life. Like or at least in the hardest business, year of our marriage. In the office? So the first year we were married, in our history, we met um, – the short version of the story is basically she was, we went to the same undergraduate that had a program that if you had, it was like a B or a B plus average, like a three, five or three or something. You basically got to skip your fourth year of your bachelor's degree and start the chiropractic school. So we both went to the same school to do that. Um, we never met while in school. We had a lot of the same friends. I have this image still on my mind of I went back for uh, this one weekend called the um, 100 days, 100 days before graduation. And I went back just to hang out with a bunch of my buddies who were 100 days from graduation. And I remember seeing this girl in the field out in, in, in one of the big fields of the campus just rolling around having a good old time with this dog. And I was like, wow, she's having a great weekend is all I thought. That was my wife. That's hilarious. It was her, it was her going away party. She was uh, very in much enjoying whatever libation she was going for. Yes. And was having a grand old time. So, you know, one of my greatest um, challenges and joys at the same time is work is working together. So, you know, we met uh, my last trimester of school because chiropractic school is year round. And so maybe like three or four months before I moved seven hours away to Long Island and it was too late to change the clinic I was going to. I tried. They wouldn't let me. 
So then for the next year, I drove back and forth like almost every other weekend from Long Island to upstate New York. Um, and then when I graduated, I then not, I didn't live seven hours. I lived three hours away cause I moved back in with my parents, which was, I'm sure super exciting for them with my graduate degree living out of their house. Right. Yeah. Um, and I lived there for a year while I was working and then I moved down to Virginia. So even further away why she was still up in school in upstate New York. So for the first three years of our relationship, it was all long distance. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. You did the exact same thing your grandfather did. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Mm -mm. You pined for your your wife just like your grandfather did for his wife. Mm. I mean, we're just, we keep, I'm just saying, man. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry. So so then she moved down and I was supposed to have moved out of her sister's house 12 months before we did. Oh, okay. So I I had this theory I was going to move down here, and and within a year I was going to build a practice enough to bring her down and also help her have basically enough income so we could both live in a you know an apartment and whatever else. And well, then we lived together in her sister's house for another six or eight months before um, you know we had enough money to move out on our own. Mm -hmm. So she says that the first year of our marriage um, was the hardest for her because we went from long distance the whole time to together the whole time. Yeah. We went to and from work together every day. We were at work all day together. We were home all day together. And I don't know that I necessarily perceived it that way, but in thinking back, I can think about it. So some people, they can't, a lot of people, they can't do that. So sometimes we get the question of, well, how the heck do you even work together? And honestly, it's one of my greatest joys now. So at yeah. the time it was a little bit of a challenge, but like right now I'm sure she would be very, very happy to be a stay-at-home mom. And my ask of her is I love having her in the practice. Mm-hmm. She brings things to the practice that are just magical that I don't bring. Just whether it's the female presence as a leader in the practice, if it's the connection with the team, if it's, you know, there are patients that are attracted to her style of care and not attracted to my style of care because she is more willing to slow down and be in the moments where I'm just like, I got to ton of people to take care of today i'm going to give them all the best possible care they can and their emotional connection is not super high on my list it's much higher on hers yeah so i love it so i'm actually I'm, i've been pushing for her to be back in the office i'm like i i love when you're there the practice grows while you're there the practice grows that means our home finances grow which means we can put more in like the kids college we can go on different vacations we can pay our team more and you just showing up bumps the practice up a whole bunch of visits a week. All you have to do is just show up. You mm-hmm. don't even have to see a patient, but your presence there. So I love it. Um, and we realized pretty pretty quick along the way that we needed to move far enough away that we weren't just going back and working. So in a yeah. bunch of years in the practice, we were two blocks away from the office. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. So we would go to work. And at that time... Just perspective, right? Yeah. So at that time, the office didn't open until 10 o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't figure out. I was like, I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to do all this. Like, what are we going to do? I was, we were sleeping in and barely getting to the office for 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> now I'm up at 5, 5.30 every single day. And if I sleep in, like today, we've been on vacation all week. So I'm getting up at like somewhere between 6.30 and 7.15 in the morning. I'm like, I've slept in so much. What's going on? God, I just want, there's a part of me that wants to go back and just hit you. Because right. like I'm sitting here like if I want to work out, I'm up at 5. Right. And in the gym at like, like what's that wrong time. with me? Yeah. 
And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to opening a tunnel. And I could if I wanted to. But yeah. my value of caring for people is higher than my value of not going to work till 10 o'clock in the morning. But um, just to think, it's interesting. But I love her being there. Just She brings mm-hmm. a presence that doesn't exist if she's not there. I get to spend more time with my wife when she's there. Um, you know, Because otherwise, you know the hours we keep. I'm leaving for the office somewhere around 7 o'clock in the morning. I get home somewhere around 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. Do that three, four, five days a week, or if I'm teaching a seminar or I'm traveling, maybe I'm gone eight to 15 weekends a year. So it's another opportunity for you to spend time with her. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. Um, I, you know, just say um, one of her jokes she tells when we tell our stories of our life together, uh, when we're asked to do it on the stage format at conferences is, you know, we've, it feels like we've been married for 15 minutes <laughs> underwater. <laughs> right. <That's> funny. <laughs> so we have a lot of fun with it, but, I mean, she, I think in a big portion of honoring me does some of the things that I really don't like to do. Um, but I just want to protect her and not just have her do those things. Like we talked a little before we started. So she, her skill set is significantly higher at helping the, our team members feel safe and watched out for and being connected to. And they're going to be more willing to open up and share things with her that, you know, while I've been for the last year, the person in charge of doing most of their what are called weekly accountability meetings mm-hmm. and they're starting to open up to me more. Our coaches have now said that she needs to take that back over and their quality of growth and their ability to show up for our patients is just, it skyrockets when it's her compared to me. So she gets to do some of the things that while I say I don't really like to do, I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's just, I know her skill set and it is higher. So I would rather spend my time the things I know I'm really good at and have her spend time the things I know she's really good at, if that makes sense. No, total sense. Yeah. Like, I'll do the other stuff, but... It's cool that you can see that and allow her to be that and not see it as... I'm trying to find the words. Not not negative, but like as a... um, God, the word escapes me, mm. but like it in a way that it like takes from who you are. Mm. Like it seems like you have a very good view of like your where you're good at and where mm. she's good at, and where you you know this isn't where this isn't your strongest thing, and it's okay that it's hers, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And yeah. I think that's really that's really cool, you know. Because a lot of times we look at it as, oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, there's something wrong with me or something. But like it's like celebrating, celebrating where. Oh my God, I'm really messing up. I'm gonna butcher what I'm trying to say. But it's like celebrating your faults in a way, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. But like allowing it to be okay that you're not no. good at that part. Because you have this this partner that can just jump in and be like, I got it. Because mm. you need each other, you know. And yeah. where, where she's not good at, I mean, you're picking up the slack for that. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, man. That's awesome. And I think it's, um, they call it in the TLC group that I know mm. you're well aware of, that one of the, they call them ism. So a Dr. Steve ism is that yeah. we train to work on the things that we're already really good at, not that we train on the things that we are mm. not good at. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that I don't need to work on that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity over the past year to become a better facilitator and grower of team. And 
am I better at it than a year ago? Yeah. Am I as good as my wife? Not no. even close. Yeah. <laughs> and give me 10 years. I'm still not going to be nearly as close. If it was for the next 10 years, she said, I'm going to be a stay at home wife. I'm going to have little to nothing to do with the practice. And you know, I, I would support her in that decision. I wouldn't be happy about it. Cause like I said, I love having her in the office, just more time I get to be around her and just, and maybe more than anything, it's witnessing her gifts showing up. Yeah. So one of the things that she does for the coaching company or coaching group, it's um, she's a foundation coach. So she mm -hmm. helps get people set up for basically it's the foundation. Like you mentioned, Teal's like the cornerstone, like chiropractic is the cornerstone of your health. Of Like when I get to listen to her facilitate those phone calls, I'm just like, holy shit. Like where is this imag magical, amazing woman like not not I want to make sure I say that right. She's always there, yeah. but the things I witness her doing, I'm like there is I wouldn't see this if I had a thousand years to work on this stuff. Yeah. And you're just like you're like you're there, you're hitting it, you're helping people have these major major magical growth and just listening to you I'm, I'm watching your god-given gift show up and show up in a way that I don't see them any place else than when you're there and I get to see it. It's fucking cool to watch your wife be where she's supposed to be and like letting that light shine. I mean, when I see her in her office, when I see her just, you know, I see her at these, uh, cause you know, she's super, my, she's super involved in like the politics of chiropractic mm. at the UVCA and yeah. watching her do that. I mean, it's like, hell yeah. Yeah. And I like, love that she does that. Your wife does that. Cause I don't want anything to do with it. I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 you know, seeing them be in their strength. Mm. Like I, I'm all about strong women. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I'm with Carly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she's, you know, like you yeah. can't, she's that, like, she's a strong, I mean, you know, she just opened her second practice. She's, you know, been in the, the board of the mm -hmm. UVCA forever. Yeah. I mean, she's strong. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she's like, you know, running for mayor of Virginia beach yeah. at some point. Um, but watching, yeah. Watching our, our spouses be in their strengths is a powerful thing. Mm. Cause we get to see, like, I think we get to see why we see why we're with them. Right. You know? Yeah. Why we need them, mm -hmm. you know, and not in like this fault that like, we're like less than, but like we need, we need them. They need us. But like, you know, I told I told Carly one time, I was like, I mean, I could get, you know, if we didn't have you, I mean, I'd get Jasper through life. Sure. Yeah. There'd just be a lot more bumps and bruises and <laughs> scrapes and he'd be a little dirtier. Yeah. You know, like you there's just more of a finesse mm -hmm. to something. And then I think it's it's fun. It's awesome. It's great. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. You know. So it Absolutely. sounds like it's cool, yeah. And I do did you work for you work for Bob, right? I did. I did. So wow. yeah, so the so, uh, <laughs> there's Marco. The you. continuation of that story of when we lived together in her sister's house. It was right before she moved down. Was right before I, um, I guess I really met Bob. Mm -hmm. So I still every so often just really go at him for this and just make fun of it and just have fun with it. Of when I moved to Virginia, I did my homework and picked my top ten places of the doctors I wanted to be part of, mm -hmm. and he was either number two or number three on my top ten list. I couldn't tell you who number one was. Wow! But he was either two or number three. Just going through their websites, looking at kind of stuff they did, I was like, "This is the dude. He's he's pretty high on my list." And so I reached out and I sent letters and I did phone calls and <laughs> nobody responded to me 
except there's one guy that turned out to be a huge jackass. Um, But anyway, um, so he never responded. So then I went and worked with this other person that I will not name because he's still, he's doing his thing and whatever. Um, And I should have known it was a problem when I walked in on the week before I was supposed to start. And he looked at me and said, who the fuck are you? everything, (laughs) Everything inside of me said, turn around and walk away. But the little fear piece said, I'm, I live here now. What the hell else am I going to do? Yeah. I'm supposed to work in this guy's office as his independent contractor or whatever. So very short version of that is I worked there for nine months and realized he was instructing his team that 75 to 90% of every new patient that I got through my marketing went to him where they were fired. So wow. I took my last dollar out to pay rent to my um, my my sister-in-law and brother-in-law because they let me live there for free for a long time. And then they asked for just a couple hundred bucks a month. And I was like, Absolutely. And I moved down with this giant stack of money from the other practice that I was running because the other doctor wanted to live in Las Vegas. And after I worked for him for four or five months, he's like, dude, you got this. Just go. And anything outside of overhead, just put in your own pocket. And I was like, sweet. So I moved down with a big old fat stack of money. And then there was the day there wasn't any left. Yeah, of course. And my wife had reached out to um, some docs that worked in Dr. Bob's office at the time just to meet them as she came down. Cause I mm-hmm. think she, without telling me this realized I did not have a practice built that could support us both. Cause I was still living with her sister. Yeah. So in that she, they referred her to Bob because Bob was looking for someone to run the office that we now own. And yet again, I reached out to Bob and Bob said, mm, you seem like a really good guy. I have a really good feeling here, but I don't know. I'm going to hire this other dude that he was. So he hired the other dude. And my, my order's a little off right now. So we hired the other dude. And then came the time that I took the last dollar out to pay rent. I was mm-hmm. like, fuck. What am I supposed to do? My wife is going to be here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't remember. I don't think we were married yet. But either way, she's going to be here in the next couple of weeks. I'm responsible to be the dude that has all this stuff figured out. I don't even have money to put gas in my car right now because I've committed to paying them money and it never crossed my mind to go to my parents for help. My mom heard the story two years ago and was super pissed. I didn't ask her for help. Wow. um, So I called Bob and I said, Hey, it's been about three weeks, maybe a month. How's it going with that other guy? He goes, Oh, thank God. I've been looking for your number for two weeks. (laughs) So I said, Bob or Dr. Bob. I was like, I need, I probably said Dr. Lee being super formal back in the day. Um, and I was like, so I'm in, I don't know what Portsmouth is, right? <laughs> I've never heard of it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm here to live in Virginia beach. Uh, I was like, I don't even know what Portsmouth is, but I have a gigantic ask of you. And he said, what's that? I said, I need an advance on my first paycheck before I ever show up to work on my first day. And he goes, why? I said, I don't have a penny to my name. My tank is on empty. I have enough to drive to your practice 10 minutes away. And maybe get gas at the Sam's Club or the gas station next door. That's all I got. Wow. And he said, okay. Really? Yeah. He God. gave me, I don't know if it was a 20 or a 50 or whatever, but I showed up. We ironed it out in his office that he's still, he's still the same location he's in now. And he gave me a little bit of an advance on my first paycheck. Like I said, I couldn't tell you what it was. And it was enough that I could get back and forth from work until I got my first actual paycheck from him two weeks later. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Bob <laughs> right? Lieb. Yeah. So who my. knows if he, re- he remembers that, but that's my recollection of that story of I was down to nothing. And he he took a chance on me. And a couple of years later, we bought the practice from him. And now yeah. we're doing awesome. So, 
Way to go. Yeah. So thank, thanks, Dr. Bob, if you're listening to this one for I hope he does. on my first paycheck. I'm going to I'm gonna tell him even to at least fast forward to this part Yeah. to, to hear this because, uh, I mean, it, it, it. I love, I mean, I met him, let's see, I met him when Carly got an award for something back like seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he it was just a UBC, had, I remember that award. It was a UBC yeah. award. It was like new kick-ass doctor. It wasn't. Yeah, that of name, course, it was. It was new yeah, doctor yeah, award. basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I met him and got to connect with him, and I realized it was good. And then, luckily, you know, shout out to TLC again because that that whole coaching company. Mm. I mean, you're the third person here, third doctor that's yeah. been affiliated with TLC. So that's. I mean, they do a great job, but. He's a good guy, a good dude, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm glad that my wife's in business with him now. Yeah, and you know, he's a great coach from what I'm hearing. I mean, mm-hmm. Doctor Marco Accordo worked with for him too, didn't he? Yep, Doctor Marco was his uh, associate. Me and my um, whoever recounted this way, but my wife credits the doc. Uh, my wife went to school with Doctor Marco's wife's sister. Yeah, uh-huh. I so heard that story. Something along the lines yeah. of, "Hey, we're looking for he's looking for a job down in Virginia Beach," and um, and Ashley said, "Hey, Bob, you're looking for I hear you're looking for a new associate since you know Steve doesn't work for you anymore." And I think there was somebody between me and Marco that didn't work out. I don't totally remember that, but um, so it was you and then Marco. It might have been me and then directly Marco. There might have been another associate in between, but the only successful associate relationships was it was um, that i know of at least since i've been around it was myself then it was marco then it was christina who's now mm-hmm. working with your wife at her other location so yeah man so yeah, to... yeah thank thank you for dr bob <laughs> who, know, who, who <laughs> yes. knows where we would all be if it wasn't for dr bob <laughs> oh my god we'd be we'd be up a creek huh yeah oh yeah uh, <laughs> i might i might end up back at home in my parents house again <laughs> no, we don't we i'm glad you didn't do that yeah um so I think my wife is too. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that we're at a place where I think we're rounding the bend to the end, mm. and uh, I want to know, like, so what, like, what is your role as a dad? Are you like, and mm. when I mean role, is it mm. like, are you like protector, provider, facilitator? Mm. I think that the last question is about fatherhood, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing I thought of, and I think the name of the book was Dadhood, because I've always had a desire to, I want to say this wrong, but be a better parent than I had from a dad perspective. Um, And again, I I hate saying anything like that because my dad's not around anymore. I think he was working through his demons, and if he was still around, he'd be uh, much more significant in my life in a positive way than he was previously. but the book, it's dadhood or fatherhood. Or I think it's called dadhood. Of basically, anybody can be a dad, or any. I don't remember how how the author phrases it, but anybody can be a male parent of a person. It doesn't take a whole lot to accomplish mm-hmm. that. But only some people can really uh, can really be dads, mm-hmm. and it means you show up. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have the right reactions. But you better fucking show up every single time. And so, I think my answer to that question is: I think through it is. You know, I might not like the way I show up all the time. I might not like the quality of how I'm showing up and, and think back and wish I dug in more with whatever the thing was. But 
if you're really going to be a dad or really going to be a good father, then you just, you need to be there and show up for whatever shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I'm really excited to share this right now after what you just said, because we started talking about superheroes mm. and what you're talking about is incredibly powerful. Like I think being a dad is mostly just showing up. Mm-hmm. The rest of it works itself out if you show up. Mm. Right? Yeah. I and mean, really if you're, if you're there you have an opportunity to to be the dad. Sure. You know, how many people are like I just wish my dad was there. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I wish my dad was at my baseball games. I wish my dad was here. I wish my dad was there. I wish my dad saw this. I wish my dad was present. And not, you know, staring at the screen or like at work all the time. Mm. So it is showing up. But there's that line in the second Guardians of the Galaxy when, oh my God, Peter Quill's, what was his name? The blue guy. The blue guy. Um, that was the one that was like, you tried to eat me. He Ego was the, the, yeah, the leader of the. Oh, no, uh, Ego was the. the planet dad yeah, but yeah he was the leader of the the reapers or whatever ravengers ravengers Ooh, so maybe right? i do know some more comic book stuff yeah <laughs> it's also been a couple hours steve so hold, hold your horses there buddy a couple of glasses of bourbon but the line which gets everybody and i i teared up when i heard this he says right before he dies because he had saved peter quill he says mm. that guy might have been your father but i'll always be your daddy Mm. because his father wasn't there for him. Mm-hmm. But that guy, he might have screwed up and he was this terrible person, but he was there for Peter. Mm. And that's exactly what you were saying. He showed up. He was present in his life. And so, yeah, that guy's his father, but this other guy's his daddy. Mm. I mean, that's just, I mean, I was, I, was, I was floored when he said that. And that's exactly what you're saying. We just got to freaking show up, man. Yeah. I like it. Mm. Steve, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. I think this was this was so cool to listen to your story. I think it, it's powerful in the fact that like everyone has a story to tell, no matter what it is. And it's cool. And it's, I mean, you had so many awesome things to share. I'm glad that you mm. were on here. Thank you. So it was thanks fun. Me. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I take it as an honor that you're letting me um, – put this out to the dozens of people that listen. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's more than that. It's more. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming on. And as always, be excellent to each other. So See um, you next time. I see this thing on your wall. Oh, uh, I'm going to, for future guests. Oh, right? yeah, the and future guests. So since we talked about Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds is up there, I'm just going to put it out there, dude. If you're listening, yeah, Ryan let's Reynolds. come do this together. Yeah, I have, I'm a big, you know, we have our vision. That's my vision board. So if you're listening, I have uh, <clears throat> it's 10 people I want to interview. I, it's nine that are dads and one that's not. So I have Zach Efron on here because I think he'd be great to talk to about, like, who he is but yeah i have rob bell joe rogan dave Grohl, mcconaughey the rock i got charlie day ryan reynolds big boy dave Chappelle, and zach efron those are mm-hmm. my, so that's why i sit here and i stare at them i mean most of those guys are all dads and i'd love to hear their perspective mm-hmm. so yeah you pointed out so yeah if you guys ever listen i'd love to talk to you guys about being dads yeah 
All right, we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks.